Mike Mulligan, David Haw. There's a lot of cool spots in the South Loop in that area that you can envision taking off if the White Sox do build a stadium there. If you put something like that there, there? that would be unbelievable. Like I said, you'd you'd also be building a neighborhood around it. Built hotels and restaurants around the facility, and you just you create a new Haw House. Haw House. In the middle of our street. Haw House. Let's go. Stop me there. That's not a bad idea. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's get the whip around. Let's go. What would we have? What would be on that menu? I mean, Uh, what would we serve for food? Yeah, Yeah, food or drink. What would be the specialty there? Popcorn. Popcorn. (laughs) Get your popcorn ready. Get your discounted tickets here. Look at that. Come on. This is going to play. Pick up a T-shirt. And by the fourth or fifth inning, we're over at Hall House. (laughs) Knocking a couple back. Start your mornings with Mully and Haw. 5.30 till 10 a.m. on 670 The Score. This is the best show on radio. I just wanted you to know that. Let's go. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Ah, David, what a beautiful, glorious morning. Welcome back. And the fine city of Chicago. Yeah, I had a great vacation. Really enjoyed myself. <laughs> Loads of fun. Yeah, it's been a... Long week, but it is Tuesday. You are back, and there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, it's a great day, man. I mean, I'm fired up. There's so much to go over. Uh, I heard Dustin on the pregame describe it as a lot of little tidbits from the NFL. There are a lot of little sprinkles on top of this day from the NFL. We've got baseball. Everybody's in camp. Come on now except for one guy that you're kind of waiting on. And it turns out it's a waiting game. It's not a negotiation. It's just sort of a waiting game. Yeah, Tom Ricketts addresses everybody yesterday with that little nugget about Scott Boris and the Cubs really haven't begun negotiating in earnest. They're just exchanging ideas. What a pleasantries at this stage. They're not really talking to each other. So – Today, yeah, there are a lot of NFL nuggets. There's some all-star leftovers. But really, I think in Chicago, after we you know get done admiring what Connor Bedard did again last night, it's both chairmen in town of our respective baseball teams making some news on sure. Monday. Yeah. Tom Ricketts in Arizona. Jerry Reinsdorf on his way to Springfield. Yeah, how about that? Oh. I, 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 you know, the idea of Jerry, you know, hat in hand. Hanging out in Nashville. See, oh, wait, Springfield. See, that open was like, it It reminded me. Yeah. It reminded me of when the first, the news broke that the Sox were eyeing land in the South Loop, how exciting that was. Yes. We were having fun about uh, all the possibilities, a restaurant and uh, walking over there Your and revitalizing the neighborhood. Molly, that was before Friday, and I know you've been uh, out, and you were mm-hmm. not here yesterday. I, I think I'm um, yesterday was a uh, a national holiday. You chose to work. Yeah, let's just get that straight. Okay. No one was here from any of the other shows. By the way, you were the only That's guy. That's fine. Layla and I had a good time. So but you can't blame me for that. One. I'm not blaming anybody for anything. But what we heard coming in was at least two rants ago. So. The news broke on Friday that the White Sox are making this audacious ask for a billion dollars in subsidies. And now we find out that Jerry Reinsdorf is on his way to Springfield to begin that process. That's galling. That's really galling today. 
that he's going to be in front of uh, the state legislature and lobbying, making the case that he needs your money to help him build his house. Yeah. So at least Hall House would be financed privately. Yeah, we'd have a whip around. Yeah. Well, Every, no, everyone would throw I, in a twenty. That, that would be just for parking. I, I think I would build the house myself. <laughs> I would finance it. I would mortgage it. Whatever the case is, it would be my money. I wouldn't be asking everyone else for theirs. So I can stay. I thought it was a business that we were working together. I think it's our money. Don't be cutting okay, me out of our money. House. Our money. We can we can collaborate there. But you know what I mean. It's yeah. a very difficult story. Well, and I mean now project. It's a difficult one to get behind because the billion dollars in public funds, even though it doesn't in, in, include a, a tax increase, seems very disingenuous and it's it's a non-starter in my book. Well, I, I mean, look, when we talked about this, there was a caveat, which was, hey, that sounds great, provided you, you finance it yourself. I, I believe we said that immediately. And, um, you know, Jerry, got, he's got the money. He's got the money. He could do it. Um, Does he? Yeah. I, I mean. How much of his money will be going toward this project? Because that remains pretty, pretty much pretty you, ambiguous, right? Yeah, not much. Have no. you seen anywhere where that's been stated? Let me ask them. You know, does anybody want to build Jerry another building? Anybody? Uh, we'll find out. Come on. We'll find you out. You know the answer to that I, I know the answer to that, but I also I, know that I know what I would say if he came to me, if I were a legislator, and he wanted public funds of any kind. I, I, I'm not arguing with that. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's an anticipated reaction. There's going to be some resistance. But I also don't know enough about how the game works behind the scenes right now. Yes. There have been there have been politicians that have not exactly slammed the door shut rhetorically about this or, or orally, and I don't know if that's going to be the case today. There's a reason he's going down there, Molly. He must be encouraged by somebody to think that something is possible. Related media who owns the land certainly are pr- part of this as well. Just don't know what information he's receiving to make him feel like it's worth the trip. Yeah, I, I mean, again, um, I think you got to hear him out, listen to what he has to say. But I think your question is one to ask him. How much are you putting in? How this? much are you putting in? How much of your personal, your vast personal fortune are you investing in this? Or even how old is Jerry now? Is he 88? Did he just 87, turn 88? 88. I think he just turned 88. Mm-hmm. Or he's turned. Maybe it's his birthday. He's. It's. This is around birthday time for Jerry. Um, you know, they say you can't take it with you. Build a nice stadium. Well, what's happening is that and it, it's an investment. It's It'll an investment. Pay your family and he, forever. And he's putting, he's putting the Sox organization in a great position to be sold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get an agreement well, to build a stadium. And, and you know what? I like just having that in place. Go ahead and sell it then. If that's what he wants to do, you know, what I don't want him to do is to move it. And and I think that that's why this ballpark appeals to me more than anything else. Because it's not in Nashville. Well, because I feel like the Sox will be here for another 30, 40 years if they build the building. That's all. That's 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 as limited as my interest is. Everybody can get behind that. Everybody Mm -hmm. can understand that. And, and I think feel similarly, but I do, I do think that in today's, economic climate, whether you're in Chicago, New York, Boston, or any major city, there's not the appetite that there used to be for 
public financing of, of private ballparks or stadiums. Uh, the, the sports teams are, you know, sports are different. They, they appeal to our passions. We want to root, root for our favorite teams and our favorite players. But I do think that there is a limit to where, how, how far you're going to reach in your own pocket. Mm-hmm. The optics are terrible. The reality is worse. And I just don't think today is the time in, in society where you're going to be able to ask for a billion dollars to build a ballpark. Jerry turns uh, 88 on Sunday. Yes. So. You having a party? He's 87. No, he's throwing himself one. I don't think he needs my help. Does he need someone to throw him a party? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Sounds like that's what you're telling me. It sounds like what he's asking for. Look, and again, I, I, I don't know all the details of this, and it's, you know, the, you know, it's, it, there's no new taxes. It's basically all the money from, come on, no. No means no. Enough. There are no new taxes, it's a, it's a, but it's, it's re-diverting funds that already exist. And exactly. the fact of the matter is it, it obscures the, the reality that every dollar that is redirected toward this project is one fewer dollar that is not spent on something of a higher priority. Thank you. And that's a problem. In this city, in major cities, you've got so many issues. We don't have to make this you know, into uh, a, a civic lesson and what's wrong with the city, but there are problems that are more pressing than where the White Sox are going to play in five years. Yeah. For If you're the mayor of the city, if you're the governor of the state, don't you think that the priority list is longer than, oh, my gosh, what are we going to call the new park in the South Loop? I told you. The minute, they, the minute word came out on that, they should have started digging because that, that was their only hope. <laughs> Well, he's digging deeper, and yeah. Jerry's going to yeah. get buried right. in terms of how it, it's a difficult hole to escape once you dig this for yourself, metaphorically. The mayor, the mayor of Nashville doesn't want to build a stadium. He doesn't want public funds for a stadium. But he exists to create leverage, so this idea that— You think the if, fine folks of Tennessee want to no. cough no. from their legislature? No. Le- legislature? They've already— They've already— Gone down that road, I think, with the Titans. Right. And I just don't think there's an appetite there. It's just not the time. It's just not the time in any city, the way that budgets are hemorrhaging and all the things that are legitimate reasons to resist this. And here comes Jerry Reinsdorf, hell-bent and getting a billion dollars from Illinois taxpayers. Okay, good luck with that. Good luck with that. It's just. It's an audacious ask. Well, I mean, again, you know, it's Jerry. (laughs) It's Jerry. I don't know what to tell you. It's he's been doing this for so long, and you know, I think I, I don't even know if he still believes in what he's doing. He just he can't stop himself. Who's who's steering this then? I, I, that's what it's I wonder. It's got to be him. Who's behind? Well, who else? Because as you say, <clears throat> he does turn eighty-eight mm-hmm. on Sunday. My sense is that there are other people involved in this process <clears throat> that are encouraging him, pushing him. Explain to him why this makes sense because he's got to be. Well, he is the chairman. He is he's the not chairman. the outright owner. He's got partners on everything he does, but he's made his partners a fortune. Um, Just tell us how know. much of that fortune is going to be invested in this because then I want to know. I, I we, just all, think, we all deserve to know. I just think that the, the – uh, I totally agree with that question, and I think it's one that the legislators should ask him. As he's asking them, as he tries to explain 
like, hey, Jerry, while you're here, why don't you call up your bank accounts? Let me just see how much you're actually rolling in this thing. I'm laughing because yesterday uh, there was a call from Larry in Naperville, mm-hmm. I believe. Layla and I were taking a similarly critical uh, approach to this story, and Larry called up and was very adamant and very agitated, and he was telling us to run. we should run for city council. So when you said that there would be legislators, I thought I imagined a, a fine state senator, um, Layla Rahimi, uh, sitting next to your honorable senator. Uh, and I just, it's a funny image. It's a funny image. And it was a funny phone call. He was very upset. He was losing, well, I, I mean, losing here, oxygen as a, he spoke. Here's a really nice uh, text from a guy who just, he says, let him move. You know, go, go to Nashville so I can, I, so I no longer have to follow this team that my father gave to me and, and I can cheer for the Cubs with a clear conscience. That, that I think, you know, really. I, I mean, it's it's comical. You can't get an all-star game here because there's issues with the city, apparently. And uh, Tom was asked about that yesterday. And we're sitting here talking about how much money you ought to give the White Sox to build a new stadium. A billion dollars. I mean, it's like, just get out the Monopoly game and just hand a bunch of, you know, you can have Bradley Place. I, what the hell is this? I think this? 708 text in. It's an interesting question that I, I think at some point is worth almost discussing in this context is that Jerry Reinsdorf uh, is a businessman and his job is not to be a steward of the city. In theory, that is true. In, in, in reality, it, it, he does exist to make money for his business. But I think somebody who has been the chairman of the White Sox as long as he has, doesn't he have some civic responsibility there? Shouldn't he? Well, I mean, the reality is that Jerry came in here and he took over this organization. And, you know, we didn't know if it was Eddie and Jerry. I mean, they, you know, Jerry has always tried to play kind of in the margins and have some front man that had to deal with all the bad stuff while Jerry swooped in and was Mm -hmm. the guy that got deals done for the Bulls or whatever way, whatever. Think about all the organizations and all the, uh, the way that you viewed them. Um, I think that Jerry himself had talked about the, um, you know, growing up in Brooklyn and the Dodgers leaving and what that, how that impacted him. Now, now here he is and he's, his, his last moment is going to be to take the White Sox to Nashville. Uh, uh, and you know what? I mean, honestly, this, you know, the threat of Tampa may have worked once. I, I don't think that's going to work again. They're either going to stay or they're going to, you, you, they're you know, stay. convince somebody to to, uh, yes. to pony up. Nobody uh, wants to be a part of. No. And, and listen, I think it's I think it's a great concept. I love the idea. I love the image of a new ballpark in the South Loop, and and then a neighborhood. And there's already a neighborhood, but really taking advantage of that place, building kind of another Wrigley to anchor what's already there and build up the city. That's a different I, discussion. I'm, I'm all for yeah, it I, I, on who, who every level. Who I don't would know not anyone be? who wouldn't. It's a gorgeous neighborhood. It's beautiful. It would be thriving it with would, the Sox there. It would be so much it, fun. It would be the equivalent of, of Wrigleyville and Ricketsville. Yes. But, but, but let's, let's stay with that for a moment because I couldn't help. Yesterday you had this kind of the contract. You had both chairmen in, in the forefront yes. of, of the news cycle. Tom Ricketts, I couldn't help but wonder what must be going through his mind if he were asked directly about what he thinks of the White Sox 
doing this because of all the problems he ran into, the Ricketts family ran into, trying to create that neighborhood environment, what you just described, at Clark and Addison. They were stopped at every turn because of governmental this and city that. And I think that that message was pretty clear to the Cubs and, and the Ricketts family. You want to do this to Wrigley Field? You want to do this to the neighborhood? Fine. Why have the, why money. Has the Cubs over the years had such a bad relationship with the city? Well, I think because they wanted more help than the they were than the city was willing to give. The at, city at never gave times. them much help, at I, but all. that doesn't mean they didn't try. But even so, this All Star game, yeah, this right. idea. Well, there's some hold up because the you know the city is it, it, you know this. I think Manfred said the cities themselves have to be cooperative, and the Cubs aren't getting the kind of cooperation. A lot of it has to do with lighting. A lot of it has to do with the neighborhood security. A lot of it has to do with logistics that have nothing to do with who's going to be the starting pitcher for the American League, right? It's not really a baseball conversation as much as it is a civic uh, or or city bureaucracy conversation. And that politics get involved, bureaucracy gets involved, and it gets very messy. I think the politics part of it is probably one of the reasons that they're, you know, traditionally over the last 30 years, let's say, that there's been no cooperation. How long have the Ricketts owned the team? Since 2009. That, that's that been not a good relationship. It's not been a good relationship. But they, you know what? At one point in time, and this is generalizing, but I know from covering a lot of these things along the way, the Ricketts family basically said, okay, we, we're going to have to invest our own money if we want to get this ballpark to the state we want to get it, if we want this neighborhood to be what we right. think it can become. And at some point in time, there was, I don't want to say a concession, but maybe a recognition that they would have to use their and, own small fortune. And frankly, it's been hugely it's been Huge hugely success. success. Yes. Huge. That, that money that was invested has come back and will continue to come back into the coffers. You know, do you want public funds and would it have been better for them? Of course it would have. Of course it would have. And, and they don't get the kind of cooperation. But now we're talking about a billion dollars. It's it's like such a it's such a, and I I I got to tell you, it's it just it's so like you, as as I said many times when we talk about this because I am a Sox fan and I've grown up following the team and my father followed them and unfortunately my kids are following them. I don't know that they're going to bother this year, but I I guess everything's great. I don't know if you heard Pedro Griffin. Um, but the reality is that that the White Sox they don't. There's no. There's absolutely there. There is no appetite whatsoever to give any public money to any professional team, be it the White Sox, the Cubs, or the Bears, for that matter. Well, the Bears are going to find that out if they haven't already. I think it's going to be a difficult. Uh, course for them to navigate as well. And I think what's very interesting about this, we had Jim Kirk from Crane Chicago on a Monday, and he laid it out there. There is a virtual race for funding sure. in the state with the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority uh, and the Bears and the White Sox eyeing land in a project very close in proximity to each other in the south side. It just doesn't seem to be feasible to have two things going on simultaneously and, you know, the other thing about it is it bothers some people, and we'll continue to talk about this. Jerry Reinsdorf, the White Sox, it's undeniable that you can, can't – I mean, it's, it's hard to look at this ask without factoring in the, the, the reality. They have 
never written a $100 million contract. So they want the public in the state of Illinois to invest in their own project. But to the degree that that would, it's, it's commensurate to what writing a $100 million contract to a free agent would represent. And he's never done that. Mm. They've never done that. Right. So why would you approve or be behind supporting and investing in a team that, and an owner and a chairman that doesn't really invest in itself? So that's frustrating from, from the standpoint of a lot of Sox fans like yourself. They don't see that kind of investment in the team, and now they want everyone else to invest in you know, building a new home in the South Loop. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, you know, I think that a texter checks in. Remember when Jerry laughed at spending $500 million for Otani? Well, we should have the same reaction to his request for a billion dollars. Kind of a snicker. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to be giving Jerry <laughs> – a billion dollars. <laughs> I bet you Tom Ricketts can snicker privately. If I would love to know what he would say privately about this ask by his, you know, peer in in, yeah. in Major League Baseball. Because I really don't have any comments or, yeah, you know, I don't want to say anything about um, what the White Sox are doing. Like I just, you know, that, that, that's I wouldn't comment on what, what they're going to do there. So, of course he wouldn't. <laughs> but that's what I mean. I want to know what he really thinks because that. Implies that yeah, crack a, a beer. And he, he thinks, but yes, it. yeah, yes. I would like to do that with Tom Ricketts and talk about yeah. this and see what he really thinks. But that, yeah. and invite Scott Boris because you get Scott Boris a couple of drinks. Maybe he'll open up about Cody Bellinger. Where is Cody Bellinger, by the way? Is he taking batting practice? Is he doing shagging flies? He's in Arizona. All right, he's in Arizona. Dustin reports. Is that right? Well, the the great super agent has three different training facilities across our great United States of America. And uh, Bellinger and the other potential cub that's also rumored, his other client, those two guys are training in Arizona. Matt Chapman? I don't think that's happening. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, but it's interesting that Bellinger and Chapman are training at that particular facility in Arizona. There's a facility in Florida that's got a couple of guys, and Mm -hmm. there's a facility in California that's got a couple of guys. Yeah, well, I thought Morrell was the third baseman that we decided that. I think that's they probably are ready to move on to. That's what Craig Council said over the weekend. Makes sense. Makes sense. I, I had no other. I mean, they, they, Nicky Madrigal can't be. 125-game third baseman. No, he can't. Nor can Patrick Wisdom. No, I, I'm okay with that plan as long as Bellinger is in camp soon, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I mean, now that now that they've reported and everybody's there, he's not. And they took out an insurance policy last night. Yeah, that's not a lot of insurance. David Peralta is not. It's an, it's an insurance policy, David. I didn't say it's a lot, but the, it's, a, it's a corresponding move. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I hope not. Would David Peralta be a Cub if Cody Bellinger were here? No. Yes. Yes. No. They need some pop in the lineup. No. They need a left-handed bat. No, they need no, some no, depth. No, they no. need some length. He's a minor league contract. Wouldn't be here. It's a minor league maybe. Take a look, David Peralta. What you got left? 36 years you know, old, Dustin. 36 years old. You know what's great? Wouldn't about, you love to be 36 again? You know what's great about the Cubs? Maybe Seriously. What, what's fun about the Cubs is there's always some little bits of information, right? And it's, it's kind of interesting information, and you can get to it. You know, that Marquee Network, the, the 360 show is on pretty much like 30 times a day. And I, I, I think I watched the whole thing without sitting down and watching the show. I just was 
you know, in and out and up and down. And I had the TV on the marquee network. And I, every time I got in the room, I saw like a different part of a half hour show and it was on like most of the day. So I eventually watched all of it. It, it and it was fun. It's excellent. You can see them at camp and they're there on a Sunday and, you know, Bruce is out there. We'll talk to Bruce later. It's it's just a fun thing to have. And if otherwise you got to get online and hunt around and try to figure out which organization is actually covering the White Sox <laughs> and why they're bothering. NBC Sports Chicago still covering the White Sox. I know, buddy. But I'm, I, I know. I can find it. But the, they don't have the regular shows on. They don't. They don't. It, there's not. They don't have like you 360. You can't see it. No. Right. I'm just saying. And it's interesting to hear all that stuff. Yeah. I, Marquee Sports Network is uh, covering it as they should when yes. Tom Ricketts addresses the team for the 15th year. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's hard to believe. 15 years they have owned the team, and 15 times he's addressed the, the Cubs on the first day of camp. It's pretty good. Pretty good. A lot to talk about. Yeah. We'll get into all of it. We'll pick it apart. We got all the stories of the day. The pick six is next. It's Mully and Haw on the score. It's Pick 6 with Mully and Haw, where we debate the top six sports stories of the day and then open it up to you, the Chicago sports fan. Call us at 312-644-6767, or you can tweet your thoughts at Mully Haw. Pick 6 with Mully and Haw starts now. How about Marianne Ahern tweeting or Xing that Jerry Reinsdorf will be in Springfield today attempting to drum up support for his $1 billion in public funds to provide the White Sox a new ballpark. NBC5 has learned that White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf will meet with legislative leaders in Springfield tomorrow. Democratic and Republican leaders will sit down with Reinsdorf as he is looking for $1 billion in public money to help build a new White Sox stadium in the South Loop. What would you say to him if he asked you for your support? Yeah, you know, I'm a Sox fan. I can't get on board this one. And and I got a lot of respect for Marianne Ahern. I think she does a great job. She's a total pro. And, um, you know, when, the minute I saw that, I thought, ah, okay, so Jerry's in Springfield. I never questioned the idea of it. And um, I, I don't think it's a great look for him. I don't think he cares. I think he's turning 88 on, on Sunday. And, you know, this is his way of kind of – remaining in the in the mix and doing his thing and that's what he loves to do go drum up some some money and um a billion dollars that's kind of, some of that right like 350 million of that is just kind of sitting there uh waiting to be used in, in something like this so i don't know um what would i do if he asked for my support i probably would uh you know ask him about how much money he's investing and what is his support and what are they doing and and how much of this is uh, – and, you know, I'd, I might say something like, okay, well, give me half ownership of it then. You know, maybe if you want me to invest, I would be uh, an investor and I would get, you know, half that dough and don't tell me it's going to come back in different ways. I want I want to be uh, a partner with you. That, it seems like if, if we got in it together, we could make a lot of money together and uh, – and I need to make more than you. That's kind of the way I'd react. No shot. <laughs> that would be. That's your, your answer to that, him? Yes. No that, that's the question, right? What would you say to him if he asked for your support? No shot. I could respect that because a lot of people would be sure. a hard no. I, yep. I would I would want to probably have a, a deeper conversation before I would go, no shot. 
And I would say, Jerry, how much are you in it for? What are your investors going to contribute? This can't just be a a public uh, a, a public gift to you. This can't just be. Let's look at the right. way that this neighborhood will be enhanced by the presence of a ballpark that will be beautiful. Love the renderings, by the way. Yep. You should give your artist a raise because that guy or woman or whoever, however they came up with that, tremendous way to get people excited about a project that they don't know how they're going to pay for yet. So that was strategic. It was calculated. And it was effective because now people want to see that. I want to see that. But I want them to pay for it. I want them to have a responsible plan that is more responsible than going to the state legislature in the midst of a, a statewide and citywide budget crisis and saying, you know what, we want a billion dollars in subsidies to help pay for this ballpark that everyone is going to love. Not going to love it yet because it's not built. I also would want to know what kind of plan do you have for 35th and Shields? What kind of plan do you have if you want to be, you're a businessman, Jerry, but you do want to be a responsible neighbor. What is the plan for that ballpark at 35th and Shields? What is your plan for the neighborhood redevelopment? Is that part of this plan? It is part of the related media presentation, but what are those things in mind? And just, you know, let's reinforce this idea. What is it about your personality that allows you to be audacious enough to stand before us and ask for a billion dollars. That takes some gall. That's a pretty easy question to answer. Did you like hearing Tom Ricketts explain why he won't interject in Cody Bellinger's contract talks, even if it's Scott Boris's preference? With respect to Bellinger, like I'm, I'm like everyone else. We're just waiting. You know, we're waiting for um, whenever, uh, whenever he and his agent are going to engage, and uh, you know, it could be. Could be any time now, or it could be a few weeks. We'll just see where it goes. We'll just have to see where it goes. Is the waiting game the best play for the Chicago Cubs? It's a great question. I don't know what else they would do. I, I don't think they're going to move on. There's nobody to move on to. There's not a better alternative. It is the ultimate staring match. I found myself, though, listening to Tom Ricketts and <laughs> feeling, I, I don't want to say, sympathy or empathy necessarily because I cast a billionaire as a sympathetic figure. You're dealing, though, with uh, an agent that seems unwilling to engage. Scott Boris seems unwilling to do his job, which is to negotiate on behalf of his client. The way Tom Rick has presented it, they haven't even begun negotiating yet. They've barely talked. Did you know that? Did anybody know that? I did not know that. It's not a negotiation. I I know, but I want them to get negotiating. The other thing that came out of this is that as much as I was surprised Tom Ricketts revealed as much as he did about the process, it also leaves to me there's an onus on the player. The agent works for you. I know Scott Boris is who he is. I don't know if he's good for the game. I go back and forth almost every year. This is not good for baseball. It's not good for Cody Bellinger. When, and you have four free agents that should be with new teams, and they're not. So, Cody Bellinger, at what point do you take control of your own future, step forward and say, get me in camp, I'll take X, because I want to play, and I want to play this year? Well, let's hope that is by March 1st. That's when I will start to panic a little bit more than I already am. Um, it's fine. I, I guess you, you have, if you're going to take that stance where I don't talk, to Scott Boris. That's Tom Ricketts' stance, yes. and that's the Scott Boris play. Yes. He goes around the general manager, he goes around the team president, and he goes to the owner. 
Ricketts is set on not doing that. Well, then you can't do it for Cody Bellinger. You know, I mean, if yes. you're not going to do it, then you got to hold, you know, your your thought process. You got to stay true to your word, your convictions. Um, there were lots of things from that uh, that press conference, though. Some I liked, and some I didn't like. And then you saw the what little. What didn't you like? Just out of curiosity. The whole, uh, how will you, when will you spend more money when there's more revenue? The that, that that whole yeah. that whole thing. We're you know we're we're very close to the luxury threshold. tax threshold. Yeah. We're right there. Complaining about paying twenty million dollars a year in taxes to keep the ballpark uh, updated was not a good look. Right. I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that that was the interesting part of this. The reason there's no negotiation is that Borat, Boris has gotten to a point where now it's time to call the owner. He's going to call up the, the owner and he's going to cut a secret deal with the owner. And it's just him and the owner talking mano a mano. That's his, that's his style. And Tom is saying, well, give Jed a call. I'm not getting involved in this. Jed does the baseball contract negotiation. So I think, believe it or not, that's one of the holdups here that, that, um, that Tom is unwilling to just do the owner to agent thing. He wants them to go through the process the way the Cubs have it built in. I think that's the right way to do I it. Do too. I like that he's doing it that way. Why would you cut out the guy you hired specifically to deal with these things? And I think that when you think about the owners, the big money guys that are, you know, you call them up at home and you're like, hey, we'll throw you another player. Okay, we'll sign a deal. Like it's, it's, you're appealing to their vanity as like almost the fantasy football owner, right? And so you go to them and then you don't have to worry about everything going on with the baseball operation. So I like that Tom is having his people do it that way. But I think that's part of the reason for a holdup. I think that uh, Boris has figured out that he can squeeze a little bit more out of the owner directly than he can get from the baseball guy. And the fact that the Cubs don't want to play that game with him, is uh, it speaks volumes about th- their kind of professionalism, their headiness as businessmen. That can drive you crazy. I'm not saying it doesn't. Because you know, most of us you want to know, you want to know how to get Cody Bellinger. They're playing the waiting game. What would the other thing to go give him the money and get him in here? That would be your other option. And they're not going for that because they're not bidding against themselves. I think it's a very interesting situation where this guy is desperate to drum up some kind of help here. Somebody he's kind of. I mean, honestly. They're kind of waiting for someone to go down over the next two weeks before they put him in with the Cubs. More than likely. But the longer they wait, I think the longer they feel they can wait, if that makes any sense. Right. They're not going to blink, and I think that's what you heard yesterday. You know, that's a really good question. What is your take on Pedro Grafol entering his second season with the White Sox? Loaded with bubbly optimism. Is there any chance that feeling can be reflected in the team's record are the white Sox in trouble or do they have nothing to lose well they definitely have nothing to lose because they're you know a real bad baseball team they lost over 100 games last year and you're coming back and now you're you're acting like you got better had a great off season i believe is one of the things he said all of the things he said you would have to say hmm how do you figure I don't know that they had a great offseason. I'm confused 
by that conclusion, given everything that went down, um, it's, it's just a weird one. Pedro Grifo, you know, this is a guy that should have been fired, should never have been hired, whatever way you want to look at it. Doesn't belong right now as the manager of Major League Baseball team. And so they've given him this kind of 4A team, whatever way you want to look at the Sox, maybe AAA team. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't see I don't see what he's saying. I don't see where the optimism is coming from. I'm going to be really curious to try to get my eyes on them. I guess I'll just watch the Marquee Network until they pop up <laughs> as an opponent. They play Friday, I believe, Friday, right? Yeah. So um, I'll get a chance to see them in that fashion. It, it, it's Look, uh, seashells and balloons, you know, try to sell that. But the reality of life is going to set in at some point. And you look at their rotation – you, all you have to do is look at their rotation, and when you do, you should look at their rotation. Hey, yeah. <laughs> well, he did say, why not us? And I know I've been laughed at before about why not. Listen, that division's no damn good. The question is, so are how they. are they going to get somebody out? The, the starting pitching's a, a huge, a huge, a huge question. The bullpen's probably even a bigger question. But at some point, at some point, these guys on offense have to do something. And if it doesn't happen this year, then you want to talk about blowing things up. Then this offseason's got to be the blowing it up. Because, again, if you just look at it on paper, it looks like a pretty damn good lineup on paper. But I know they don't play the games on paper, these guys can't continue the looks on Molly and Haw's face right now. If you're watching on Twitch, absolutely <laughs> priceless. What paper they're are you both, reading? They're both mouths are hanging agape. If I use that correctly, if I didn't, I'll be constructively criticized in a moment. The line: if these guys can stay healthy and actually wake the you know what up, they could be okay on offense. They could they might win a game ten to eight. Found it amusing that Aloy Jimenez, who's always fun to listen to articulated a goal that he wanted to play in 150 games. I can't even say it without chuckling. Yeah. Yeah, I want to own the White Sox, too. I want to build a a restaurant and a ballpark on the South Loop. Back to reality, they're not going to play 150 games. They're not going to get 150 from Aloy or Mancata. So this paper you speak of, Dustin, I'm surprised that you are that encouraged by the lineup that the White Sox could write any given day. Maybe that's what get Pedro, is is why Pedro Grafolo is in a good mood. I think he's got to be in a good mood. I think well, if he's, he's in a bad mood, that's going to be a total downer for the team. Exactly. He has no choice he's, but to say, why not He's us? got to be that guy. I, I agree with that. I agree with you there. Hey, the, guys, let's go through the motions. No, no, <laughs> no. And I also think that he probably feels a little bit freer to do that. Last year, don't need to name names, but I do wonder what the presence of a big personality like a Lance Lynn in the clubhouse, like a Tim Anderson who might have been uh, a guy that was maybe difficult to have around and to have a new manager kind of assert himself the way that it seems Pedro Grafola is asserting himself right now. The White Sox have so many questions. You're right, in the in the starting rotation, they're bigger in the bullpen. If you can name three guys, you get a prize. And I just don't think this is a team that's looking like it's going to win more than 70 games. So Pedro is going to need all that positivity, 
all of those former Royals surrounding him so he can feel confident and comfortable. And I think it's going to be a long year, and he's going to be sounding very, very familiar if he hasn't already. Pick six. Did you happen to see the Albert Breer report for SI that says the Bears expect to have a quarterback plan in place by next week at the scouting combine down in Indianapolis? Does that mean either Justin Fields or the number one pick will be in play down in Indy? First, I need to find out, is Albert Breer following Justin Fields on Instagram or did he not did, follow did, did him? Justin Fields unfollow did, did, the Bears? Wait, did Justin Fields unfollow the Bears or <laughs> Albert Breer? Where does Schefter fit in here? Oh, my God. The social media conundrum and all of the mystery and clues that we saw last night. The drama builds. Look, Albert Breer probably is accurate there. I don't doubt that. You're at the Senior Bowl. Molly, let's have a beer at the Senior Bowl. You know how this goes. Let's have a meeting. Okay, by the way, what, what would you, Ryan Poles, want for Justin Fields? Let's say hypothetically, would you take a three? Eh, I think maybe I want a two. Well, what? you're not going to get a one. Okay, so those conversations undoubtedly took place. I think that's where you start to lay the groundwork. The interesting part about that report from Albert Breer to me was that the Bears are going to have their quarterback plan in place by the time they get to the Combine. Oh, really? Okay. That tells me that they've already made their minds up. What, what does that actually mean? That they're going to be shopping Justin Fields at the Combine? Yes. They're going to. That's what that says. They're going right? to Indianapolis with a sign that put outside Ryan Poles' door. For sale. Open for business. Yeah. Yes. Best offers. And you know what? They need more picks. They need more picks. They got to get a safety Everyone somewhere. Needs they got to get some help inside. Everybody needs more yeah. picks. But I got you. It, the, the most tradable asset they have is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Mm-hmm. The Bears have, again, it's going to say this until people get tired of hearing it, if they're not already, but this is not a dilemma. This is a situation. They have a good option or a better one. I find this very interesting. I also do find it interesting. David, I think, is kind of mocking it that uh, the report is that on Instagram, Justin Fields is no longer following the Bears. It could be a, a little indication of, of what's happening. Um, but I don't think you need to have your play public down in Indy because then wouldn't you be devaluing either side of it? I mean, if you're if you're saying Justin, if you if you were to come out and flat out say Justin Fields is available for trade, yeah, doesn't that decrease? The value of it on February the twenty seventh. It's too early, right? Who is decrease the value of who? Of Fields, right? I mean, because you're already saying like we're we're you know we don't want Fields anymore. We're, we're done. You know, I mean, I think you need to. I think you need to keep this as close. It's no question that the Cubs are either going to stick with Justin Fields or they're going to draft a quarterback. And I still think draft a quarterback is still in play here versus not in the first round. Caleb Williams. Not right. in the first round. Right, I'm saying. But I mean yeah. I'm just saying so I don't I don't agree with this. I, I think this I think this would be bad business to put up a sign that said Justin Fields is available, make your best offer. People know though. People sure, in the but you don't know have these to, things. But you don't have to I don't think it's he, time to do that. He also said reportedly they got a lot of interest at the senior bowl. Here's the thing, Dustin. So you're at the senior bowl and you're getting a lot of interest in Justin Fields. Now, when you when you say you put your quarterback plan together, that means, yeah, we're drafting a guy. That's all that means. You're at the combine, we're drafting a guy. Listen, everyone's at the combine. You're going to see everyone. You're going to be standing in line for a cup of coffee, and you're going to be next to a guy who's the general manager somewhere else. You're going to be hugging people and talking to people. 
You're going to be meeting everybody. You're going to have a drink with them, and you can have meetings with them. And there are three quarterbacks for sale this offseason, right? So Russell Wilson, very complicated, a lot of money. Uh, they, they'll do anything to get rid of him, don't worry. Uh, and Kirk Cousins has a big option for a lot of teams to bring him in for a year or two and see what you could do. And Justin Fields. And he might be the prize package, and there could be a team that would be very interested in getting that done. This is the time to make that announcement. You don't have to make it publicly, but this is the time where everybody, where you, where you let everybody know, yeah, we're going to draft a guy with the number one overall pick, and we all know who that is. But the fact of the matter is it means I'm looking for the best deal for this player. What do you got? And letting Albert Breer know that was smart by whoever did exactly. that in the Bears organization. And I would exactly. say four quarterbacks. I floated I yesterday miss? the idea that Jimmy Garoppolo could back up Caleb Williams. Okay, but I don't think Jimmy G is I think he's four. It's not a starter right now. Okay. No offense. I have answered your question, so why do you keep thinking at it? <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy, Jimmy G. Like his bank account. Like his looks. Like to have his chin. Um, like to have his dark hair. He's a stud. No. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Not sure I'd like to have his friends. How much credibility do you place on Joel Klatt's evaluation of Caleb Williams, ranking Williams higher than any quarterback prospect over the last 12 years? Is that a sign of growing consensus about Caleb Williams? Okay. Uh, you know, my problem with the Joe Klatt list isn't that he, you know, he really values Caleb Williams and he has him over in order Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow. Now, I would argue the order there. But if you have him over Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence, that's unbelievable. But next up, he has who? Drake May, right? What? I mean, he's got Drake May very high. And then who was the fifth one? Bryce, Bryce Young. Bryce, Bryce Young. Young. Drake well, May number what four. About, what about C.J. Stroud? You didn't have him rated high. But, I mean, he's like a seriously good player. And and you misevaluated Bryce Young. I don't know. I, I just thought, I thought that the top five – was a weird list, and it made me wonder about his credit. Joe Klatt has been at it a long time, does some good work. I like that he's getting up there and saying to Caleb Williams, especially when people are questioning if he's even the best quarterback in this draft, which no no real talent evaluators are saying that. That's not coming out. But there's just been a movement for different guys. I've talked to scouts. Uh, I, I know a guy that loves Jaden Daniels, thinks he's going to be the – absolute best player to come out of this draft even better than uh than may so i find that interesting i like it i like that the guy stepped out and said it i don't know that i believe it given the fact that he was wrong about bryce young well it creates conversation for us so thank you joe clatt but let's even use joe clatt's list and mully what you just said about the lsu quarterback okay this goes into why i think the bears should keep Justin Fields and trade down because every time you go down one peg, somebody else is coming up to get their guy, their guy. So you go from one to two, that costs X. Then you go from two to three, that costs X. Then you go from three to four, that costs X. Then at four, you have like a whopping grocery bag full of picks. 
picks that you just mentioned in the first segment of the show and mention almost all the time that the Bears need more of. Picks. Because they are not just a QB1 away from winning the North and never giving it back. They have other needs. They that might be. They might be. They might be. You get the right guy I, at that spot, and and I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl, but that guy's pretty good. Okay, but again, th- that guy's pr- that guy's pretty good. That guy is in the perfect situation and has grown and developed into it. We've, we can talk about that at nauseum. And even he, even he, the, the new GOAT QB1, referenced the fact about how lucky he is to be in the place he They're is lucky and work to have where him. he works. They're lucky to have I don't know how you look at this piece of evidence that you submitted for review and you see that Caleb Williams is the highest-rated quarterback by one respected evaluator in the last 12 years and conclude that the Bears should keep Justin Fields and trade the pick. That's lunacy. And I think some people will interpret it that way. David, no, also, no. Drake May is fourth. I don't care. And Molly just talked about a guy he knows that's in love with the Daniels kid out of LSU. You can fall in love with any prospect. Yeah. And I'm telling you that, okay, Drake May being fourth is interesting to me. But you know who's numero uno? The guy that you have a chance to take to remove the doubt for the next five to seven to ten years. You are in this position. To me, this reinforces what the Bears are leaning toward. This is good evidence because it's another voice that you're hearing that is a, is a voice of consensus. Caleb Williams is that guy. Drake May, interesting. Is he Drake May or is he Drake Maybe? I don't know. I've asked this question, you know, a lot, obviously. Don't say I don't know. How disappointing After was that? The... He's going to say that? Yeah. He's going to say I'm, I'm unsure? He gave you all the evidence. I'm, I'm unsure of myself? You, you pointed you out just to said him. I don't know. You're not I don't know about Drake that. Maybe. That's a, but the question isn't about Drake May. It's about Caleb Williams. And I do know, sir, they shouldn't trade the pick. I know that. Okay. How disappointing was the Blackhawks' effort Monday night? And if you watched, did you watch purely to see how Connor Bedard would play? Would you have watched if he wasn't on the ice? I love hockey. I love watching the Hawks. It's hard to watch without Bedard. We know this. Hawks stink. Bedard, great. That's the story of the season. I can't believe he's on the ice doing what he's doing. He's had two goals disallowed in the last two games because of offsides penalties. He had three points last night. He's been back three games. He's got, he's got what, six points? Yeah. In three games? Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, last two, night with a hard watch. Two goals and four assists, right? Yep. Um, I did watch. There was not much else on. That's if, your answer. If Bedard had not been on the ice, I would not have watched. I, I would have watched NFL Network and <laughs> some rerun of a Super Bowl. I did watch. Um, you know, I can't remember. I like Basically, I turned on the game, and I'm like, oh, you know, Tavo Teravainen, isn't that interesting? Wow. Tavo. You know, you start thinking yeah. about guys that went through Chicago. What if they kept all the – oh, a goal. Oh, another goal. Were they down four to nothing? I'm sorry, man. It is, you know, the only thing I watched was 98. That's all I care about. That's all that really kept my attention. I, like, tried to concentrate a little bit on their on their defense and are they good. And, and then I was like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And, you know, I'm, I'm adapting concepts from other sports to try to apply it to how I'm evaluating guys. And then I realized – all I want to do is watch 98. Just want to see him on the ice. Want to see what he does. 
man, is he good? And look what he did there. And, you know, that guy scored a great goal on a on a backhand, but that was all counter Bedard finding him with three guys on him. I mean, you know, finding him open while he had three guys on. I just I think he's a I think he's a fun, fun player to watch. The the Blackhawks are blessed. He needs help. He took a big hit yesterday, got up, and yeah. everybody's kind of holding their breath, but that was yeah. good for him to do that and to respond the way he did. Yeah, he's fun. They were awful, though. It was a terrible game. They're the worst team in the NHL. You can tell. They, <laughs> they go on the road, and it's just a train wreck. They haven't won on the road right. since November. We got to get to the extra point. We'll do that next. It's Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7. Cool. Set up this extra point. It's time for the extra point with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. All right, guys, let's stick Cubs here. What did you think of the Cubs signing the veteran outfielder David Peralta on Monday night? Do you think that has anything to do with their chance of getting Cody Bellinger back? I don't want to say I don't know because I was called out for that. So I don't think I'm going to do the – I don't think a shrug is audible. So – but if I were to answer this correctly, truthfully, it would be with a big shrug. No. No, no. I do I, I don't think that David Peralta, 36-year-old journeyman, good bat, silver slugger award winner at one point in his career, earlier in his career. How many stops ago was that? 36-year-old lefty. So you gives it gives you bench depth it gives you quality uh experience it gives you a guy in the clubhouse that's probably very good he's you know this year's Trey Mancini this year's Eric Hosmer this year's clubhouse presence I don't know but I don't think that you're going to look at David Peralta and say whoa okay take your time belly hold your ground Tom Ricketts don't need you here nope not related to minor league contract they're going to take a look, add him to the depth of the bench. Maybe protection against this. Now, this is unpopular, probably. But maybe protection against the fact that PCA might not be hitting. Still looking for that first hit. If PCA comes out of the gate slow and isn't hitting, and Iowa looks like a more favorable destination where he could find his stroke, at least there's David Peralta there to pick up the pieces. That would be the connection, not Cody Bellinger. Well, the problem with that, David, is who's playing center field then? I mean, David Peralta's not playing center field. No, he, I, I, everybody's complaining about the fact that he's 36 years old. Talkman. Okay. I, I, I mean, that, you're right. That would be the answer, but that, right. doesn't, but that doesn't mean Peralta's bats in the lineup because PCA. So he's a, he's a lefty. That's a good thing. He's got some Dodger stink on him. I guess that's a good thing. He he's a hustler. His nickname is the freight train because he really is a, a guy who breaks his rear end out of the batter's box, led the league in triples a couple of times. He it's an insurance policy. If Cody Bellinger was here, no shot David Peralta would be in camp with the Cubs. I disagree with that. No shot. Of course I you do. Disagree with that. Of course you do. And I disagree with you. Oh, stop. Oh, these two are arguing again. Um, I think David Peralta, it, you know, I mean, I don't think he's a great player or anything, and they signed him to a minor league deal, but he's been a professional baseball player, and he can 
he can hit. He's a left-handed bat. I, I thought I I thought they were signing a DH. I didn't think of him as a center fielder. I just thought they're getting help at DH. And I think that, like, let's just get this straight here. No matter who you are, Dustino, this is not a replacement for Cody Bellinger. This is a bad idea if you think you're replacing Bellinger with this guy. That's not no, I would say no, but I do think that yeah, he can play and he can fit in as a as a DH maybe, um, a guy that can give you a little left-handed power once in a while. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to be, I don't think he's been driving in a ton of runs or hitting a ton of homers, but I think he could be useful. And he's kind of a a guy like we talked about. They had a couple guys like this last year, and they got rid of him during the season. And you could do the same thing here. It's not like it's a huge investment. But um, the PCA question is an interesting one because he is clearly there defensively. You just have no idea whether his bat would translate to Major League Baseball. And it didn't look like it did a year ago, but it was a very small sample size. And I think that uh, we'll see what happens with him. It's kind of a – it's just an interesting – thing to look at but I I you know go ahead feel free to get Bellinger in here and I think you'll have a significantly more complete team it was not the veteran bat that I hoped they would add right I thought that would be JD Martinez somebody like that because with or without Bellinger this is still a lineup that needs some pop that needs to score Mm -hmm. some runs they can lean into the pitching and the defense and I think that's an understandable way to go if you have their defense up the middle and their young pitchers that they believe in. But I don't think you can just abandon your offense and, and neglect it if Cody Bellinger Listen, isn't in the lineup. This is, a, this is I mean, I hate to say this, but it's kind of a camp body. It's kind of a guy, 36 years old, he's had a career, and now you're going to bring him in and take a look and see if he can help you. And guys like that can help you. Um, but you're just giving him a look. It's not like you have a major investment made, and it's not like he's a lock for the roster. So I just think, to me, this is just another kind of move you make at this time of year. He's a winning player. Yes, he's a guy you might add to the mix and see what you have. But this isn't that big a deal. You know what I mean? I'm not just talking about the money. I'm saying it's just not that major an impact. It's not seismic. Nothing like that. No, it is not. And yet, I think that it's similar to the way we talked maybe about Mike Talkman a year ago. It was like, yeah, nice guy to have in camp. Yeah, and then Might he ended the up team. being real good. You, you don't no doubt. You hope that that's not the path this, this takes for David Peralta because if so, then something's gone terribly wrong because they are set in the outfield if people uh, come back and if people play their role the way they're supposed to play the role. We're also assuming a very – a lot about Michael Bush at first base. I've talked to Bruce about this. We're going to talk to Bruce again at 725. It's almost as if we talk about Michael Bush, who came over from the Dodgers, like, oh, he'll be fine. He's Matt Marvis. He's a rookie. It's the same thing. You're just bringing in a guy, and you're hoping, and we'll see if the bat translates to the major leagues. It's that simple. He's, he looks like a, a nice power guy. looks like someone blocked in L.A. that could fit here in Chicago. Could be a phenomenal move, an interesting move, let's say that. But, I mean, you're building your season around him? Mm. Maybe. Maybe. It's a big maybe.
it's a big maybe, and there's also an opportunity to upgrade if you become, you know, in a position where if you're as good as Tom Ricketts suggested the Cubs are going to be yesterday, yes, he said that they should be picked to win the division, you're likely going to expect a lot out of Michael Bush, and if you're not getting it, you're going to upgrade. You're going to have to. Yep. 312-644-6767. It's Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score. With respect to Bellinger, like I'm, I'm like everyone else. We're just waiting, you know, we're waiting for um, whenever, uh, whenever he and his agent are going to engage, and uh, you know, it could be, could be any time now, or it could be a few weeks. We'll just see where it goes. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, six seventy. The score. That is the voice of Tom Ricketts, and the word yesterday. In case you're worried about it, in case you're wondering, there's been. No negotiation. It's not like things have hit a stall or they're in neutral. They just they're not talking. They haven't started. I thought that was the most surprising element. Maybe we were right. naive in thinking that they were communicating all along. I think that was the implication from what Jed Hoyer had to say. Two things with about Tom Ricketts and, and what he said about Scott Boris. Number one, I respect the fact that he's not willing to intrude on the process because he wants to let his guys do their jobs. I think that's the way you have a healthy organization and you keep it healthy by trusting your top executives to do what they're hired to do. Jed Hoyers needs to get this done. Now, it takes two. That's the other thing that surprised me. Tom Ricketts was very open about the fact that Scott Boris is the guy responsible for this relationship or this communication never starting. I don't know that you see that often. I don't think with Tom you see that, but he's like, well, this is his trick. This is what he does. Yes. He tries to engage the owner. That's not going to happen here, Scott. Basically communicating through the media, negotiating through the media, which is something that you don't often see from Tom Ricketts. That's a good point. 312-644-6767. Let's try Kevin. Kevin is in Palatine. Morning, Kevin. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, the only thing Rickett said yesterday that annoyed me was what Dustin pointed out earlier about the revenue. Right. It's the second, it's the second most expensive game day experience. He's flush with cash. Now, if I were Ricketts, as uh, you know, as Jerry is uh, driving down in his 1980 Toyota Tercel with hat in hand down to uh, <laughs> field today, so he has no money. I, if I were Ricketts, I would be pissed to high heaven because Ricketts, you know. He was like Fredo in The Godfather getting slapped around Rahm Emanuel's office for years. So, I mean, I would be super annoyed. But, and, and no offense, uh, I love the way he's dealing with Boris. Boris is a big bully. He's a loud mouth. He, 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 he does his stuff in the media. Good for Tom. He says, I'm not getting engaged. Because, David, you know who else hasn't engaged with him on Bellinger? The other 29 teams. I, I, you're right, Everyone Kevin. Everyone knows that their heads went off, but I do have to say one more thing, and yep. you guys know I love Dustin. Dustin, there's only one player in the league you could have got worse at offense than Tim Anderson. That's Paul DeJong. Nicky Lopez, the left fielder, the right fielder, the catcher is a great framer. He's the worst hitter in baseball. Where are all these 10-run games? Hey, guess where Eloy fit in uh, home runs last year? 332nd. 
That's your DH that you're all excited about. And I would challenge Dustin to rewind the tape oh. to the exact same day of 2023 because he said the exact same thing. This can't keep happening, can it? This can't keep happening. They got to stay healthy. He said the exact same thing last year, and they sucked the high heavens. But now he's got him challenging for the division. He, I love Dustin. When, when Dustin says the Sox lineup looks good on paper, he is tweaking people. That is him. That is effectively Dustin, like taking uh, like a piece of popcorn and shooting it at you in the audience. I, I think he's looking talk. at the backs of the baseball cards for Benintendi and Luis Robert oh, and Andrew please. Vaughn and maybe that. But yeah, I don't know what kind of paper. He's looking at. Let's try Ben. Ben is in Racine. Hey, Ben. Yeah, good morning, guys. Listen, um, they better sign Belly because that's a, a matter of uh, w- winning the di- the Cubs yes. winning the division or going to the World Series. It's as easy as or, that. Or staying out of the playoffs altogether. Yeah, they they're, need him. They're clearly. not an 80-win team without Cody Bellinger. They're, they're right hovering around maybe 500 just under. With Cody Bellinger, I think that they have – Probably designs on winning the division or getting into the playoffs. I could understand that. Well, I, I don't think they improve if they don't have Bellinger. I mean, I think if you look at them from last year and you look at what they have this year, obviously a huge move for the manager. You know, they made a move to get a pitcher in here. We'll see how that goes. He's not he's not a number one or number two pitcher, I don't think. So that'll be interesting. Imanaga, middle of the Imanaga, rotation. Yeah. kind of middle of the rotation yeah. guy, lefty, always good to see a lefty. But I'm just saying, I don't feel like they've gone out and made their move. You bring back Bellinger signing your own, maybe you don't get credit for a huge move. Huge move because yeah. I think that makes you better than you were in 2023 exactly. when David Ross was the manager, which, by the way, check out Steve Greenberg's story in the Sun-Times this morning. He's in Florida. He talked to the Cardinals uh, yesterday, new Cardinal Lance Lynn, as well as old Cardinal Wilson Contreras. Wilson Contreras talking about David Ross or talking about Craig Council, let me put it that way, and how he's communicating in the way with players the way that managers should. Very, very interesting in the context of Wilson Contreras and David Ross and their history. Let's try John. John's on the road. Hey, John. Hi, guys. Love your show. You guys are a riot. Um, we do a lot of get a lot of guys to minor league contracts. What about Trevor Bauer? Please no. Wow. Please no. John, no, John, no. Are you talking about the Cubs? No, no, no. Giving Trevor Bauer. No, 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 no. That's more of a what something the Sox might consider. Well. Because the Clevenger road that they well, went down last year. But no to Trevor Bauer. Um please. You, you're you've blackballed him because of his uh, I did? I'm just no. I'm I, saying you don't want him because of those reasons. Bad guy, bad okay. past. Yep. I don't really, I don't really what, think it's uh, worth it. it. Doesn't seem like it's something the I'm, Cubs would do. They got a lot of young pitchers that they can bring up. Yes. And, you know, we haven't talked about some of the possibilities and some how good some of these guys can be. Does a guy like this poison the well? Yes. Okay. Twice. Okay. And he and you he know double poison. It stays the well. poisoned for the entire 2024 season. Stay away from Trevor Bauer. Okay. Public service announcement. And that goes for every team in Major League Baseball. Uh, Better off without him. Okay. Okay. By the way, Friday, you've mentioned the Cubs and the Sox. You're going to watch it on Marquee. I'm I'm going to watch it. I'm going to listen to it on the score because Alex Cohen and Coombe, they're calling it right here on this station. So you watch Marquee. Oh, I love the way that you, like, beat me down. 
I come back. Hey, buddy, how's everything? I built you and up and I'm tearing you down. And then you just you, – I, I want to watch the game, and now you're giving me the broadcast, and I'm letting everyone down by not being you a team player. You watch your fancy TV. I got my Odyssey app. Oh, my God. I, I Can I get both going, please? Can I just <laughs> – Yes. Yeah, now I'm sorry. I I feel humiliated. You know what we need to do to cheer feel, you up? I feel like a bad employee. To cheer you up, we're going to go full Loyola meatball next segment. Listen, there's a lot going on uh, with the Ramblers. Uh, I, you know, if you don't think this is a good story, then you're not paying attention to what a good story is. So they're building a program. They're doing things right. They're winning, and uh, we're going to talk to Drew Valentine, the Loyola coach. They also had a couple huge recruits this week that they brought in, which I think is, if you like college basketball in any way, I think it's fascinating. Um, maybe the way things are turning in the recruiting process. We'll ask uh, the coach about that as well. It's Mully and Haw on the score. Go Ramblers! Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 to the score. Man, there's some great stuff happening on and off the court at Loyola, and we're delighted to welcome in the head coach, Drew Valentine, to the program. Coach, good morning to you, sir. How's it going? Great, great, great. Great to be on with you guys. Uh, obviously can uh, continue to keep growing and getting better, but uh love where my team is at and um, love uh, being a part of the Loyola Rambler family. What's not to love? 19 and 7, first in the Atlantic 10. Dayton is up there. You guys are up there. Drew, I have to ask you this because from afar, I mean, obviously, everyone has followed the Loyola story and understands the value of the Loyola culture and what that does. Moving to the Atlantic 10, I think some of us expected it to be a little bit more gradual in the ascent. Are you ahead of schedule in terms of what you thought this program was capable of doing in a new conference? Uh, not, not really. In my opinion, I just, I mean, last year there was a couple of things. One, we, we needed to get familiar with how, um, our culture and, uh, just what the roster, um, needed to look like for, for you to win. And then, um, our resources needed to, to, you know, grow, um, substantially and get to the point where we could be competitive, um, not necessarily, um, you know, have what Dayton has, but but get to where we could be competitive. And then it was up to us to, to coach our team up and, um, you know, build what what a championship roster looked like. And, um, you know, you're so at, at this at this time in college sports with the transfer portal, man, you're, you're really able to. Um, you know, flip things quickly if, if you've got a vision and, and um, if you understand what it takes. And um, I think uh, after after year one, we were like, okay, we, we went out and used analytics and, and used what had worked in our past um, to help us come up with a vision for what we saw. And we, we didn't know if we would, you know, be in, I couldn't tell you we'd be in first place right now, but we thought we had a team that could be uh, competitive in, in the top half of the league this year. Now joining us uh, here on the score is the Circa on the Circa Sports Illinois hotline is Drew Valentine. Download the Circa Sports app today. And Drew, um, I'm a fan of the program. Um, I went to the Davidson game. I don't know if you heard me yelling at you. I was yelling, "Great, <laughs> keep it going!" Uh, and and I I tried to watch the Rhode Island game and I couldn't get it on TV, but I did listen to it, so that was awesome. 
And I got to mm-hmm. tell you, I follow the program closely because I went there. My kid goes there. I, you know, I love uh, what's happening with the team. They're really fun to watch. And you can play in so many different ways. But I'm also following the recruiting stuff. And I see you yeah. get this four-star Egyptian wing, um, Safe Hendaway. I'm, I'm probably butchering the name. Then the next day, you get this Russian guard, Daniil Glazkov. Maybe I butchered that name, too. Yes. Um, and who knows? But that is phenomenal. Those are two highly ranked prospects adding to the two guys you already have coming in. You know, while you're in the top of the A-10, you're also bringing in guys for the future. And, I mean, this – like, this, I was I was trying to figure out – I think – I think maybe Miles Rubin was like the biggest prospect you signed since um, uh, Krutwig. And now these two guys are really highly rated players. What, what's going on with your recruiting? You're doing a great job of that in season while you're in the top of the eight ten. It's fantastic. Well, I can't, um, I can't talk specific guys that haven't signed to the program yet. Okay. So I just, that's, but, but I'll, I'll say, I can say this. Um, I think we're recruiting at a high level. I think, um, you know, that's, that's what you want to do when you're um, in a program is obviously you, you want to continue the sustained success, but you also want to elevate it. And um, you want to pursue players that um, can take your program up a notch and take players. Uh, Cause we've been to the NCAA tournament, obviously in three of the last five tournaments, um, but advanced in the NCAA tournament. So we look at ourselves as, one of the top programs in the country. And so we recruit like it. We don't just go after people that we think we can get. We go after who um, is going to impact the program and help get it better. And um, I've got a great staff. I don't do it all by myself. Um, Led up by Sean Dwyer, who's been with me for, this is three years. um, uh, And and hopefully we keep Sean with me for a long time. Um, I, I, I got new staff members um, Will Bailey, who's a Chicago native, a veteran coach, Justin Bradley, who's, um, you know, really helped us with our Ivy League connections behind the scenes the last few years. So um, we've got a great staff, and, and I think I'm uh, very relatable, um, especially in this, in this generation as far as a head coach. And, um, yeah, we want to just keep growing the program. Your roster is full of some really compelling stories, Drew, and I think the one to me that – needs to be told and retold and just enough for people to absorb what's going on here. Philip Alston nearly died on the court after having cardiac arrest as a freshman when he was going to another college in Pennsylvania, California University. That was four years ago. Now he's in the middle of everything and all the success you're having now. How remarkable is his story, and what can you tell us about his character? It's crazy because – you know, we, we actually, because of, we, we have, obviously, we have three guys in our starting five that are from Columbus, Ohio. So we've recruited Ohio very well, um, myself and, and Sean Dwyer, my assistant. Um, so we had saw Phil play in high school, and, and then when we saw what he was doing at his Division two, uh we, we jumped in, and, and it was crazy just seeing his um, growth, like in his motor and in his game, and then finding out about his story, first of all, um, it's a it's a huge um, lesson to guys on our team to not take every day for granted. I think he speaks to our guys with that about how much of a blessing it is that you get to take the court every day. Um, and then with what he's able to do, uh, I think he has an extra sense of gratitude. And he's uh, 
one of the best parts about Phil, and I tell our young guys this, our freshmen, Miles, Ruben on our team, I tell them, listen, you, you know, Phil was a preseason all-league guy, but he lets me coach him like he's um, an end-of-the-bench guy. Um, he, he has an extreme sense of gratitude. He loves being a part of this program. And, um, you know, he, he, he speaks about it to our guys too. So, um, it's fun having that. The only thing that that worries is because of his conditions, he can cramp up a little bit. So in games, when I see him cramping up, it's like, he'll want to stay in. And I'm like, uh, uh, dude, you got to come out (laughs) because, uh, Uh, you're not, we're not going through that again. So, um, but yeah, no, he's extremely fun to coach, extremely talented and a huge piece of what we're doing right now. Yeah. And I, I love the way you can play in different ways. You know, you can, you can go smaller, you can go bigger, you know, you got some of these, uh, graduate student guys that you just play a smart brand of basketball. And we're talking to you here at seven in the morning. I'm sure you were already up. You guys, Tell us a little bit about this breakfast club. You guys are – you've oh, improved yeah. your free throw shooting by getting up early and getting into the gym and everybody shooting them before you even get going on the day. So it's a, it's a day after a day off. So this is uh, – I mean, honestly, <laughs> with you guys, like Coach Izzo, man, when we would <laughs> when we would be going through that Michigan State, I mean, Coach Izzo is known for his term morning, noon, and night. Um and uh, when we would, you know, have a couple games where we missed free throws, we would just go in and shoot them. And he was having guys in there morning, noon, and night. And so um, one thing that I was kind of thinking of was, okay, how can I implement that experience that I went through to our team? And so um, we just started talking about it, this breakfast club. So the day after a day off, we get up at, at between 7 and 7.15 a.m. and we just shoot free throws for 30 minutes. We play like three different free throw games, but we also just get like 15 minutes of reps up. So um, our free throw percentage is now over, you know, it's like right around 72%. I think it's like 71.9 in league play, which is, uh, which is really good. And, and obviously we want to continue to grow it, but um, that's really, really on, on, on Sunday versus um, Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Yeah. Phil, Phil Austin went 10 for 11 from the line, and, and after every make, he was looking over yelling <laughs> breakfast club to his teammates. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's just, but it's that like speaks to our culture, right? It doesn't, breakfast club, if, if guys are coming in there and they're just thinking that it's a, um, if they're losing, you know, not able to sleep and, and you know, they're like mad about it, it, it doesn't work. But, if you believe in it, if you trust in it, if you buy into the meaning of it, and then when you get in the game, if you trust your training, that's when it works. And so I think our guys are – we just got a really good group of young men that we recruit to um, this culture, and um, they're bought in right now. I think that I, – I don't remember, Drew, but Braden Norris was maybe a year behind you or ahead of you in high school because <laughs> he seems like he's been there forever. He is a veteran. He's playing 34 minutes a night for you, still shooting from three – with great uh, high percentage, what does he mean to this team, and how t- how long has he been here? Because it seems like he's taken advantage of everything, and he still is an asset to this program, and probably the guy that most people, you know, when they hear Loyola and they see them play, he he's the guy that probably most people recognize. Yeah, yeah, he's um, so he's this is his fifth year at Loyola, but he played his first year, so he was a part. Of a of you remember when transfers when when they used to have to sit a year yeah 
So he he played his first year was 2018-19. And then so he sat out the 19-20 season, the year that ended in uh, COVID. And then so the Sweet 16 year in 2021, Crutwig's last year, that was his first year playing with us. So he's now in year four playing on the court for Loyola, but year five within the program. And um, last night after uh, last night after Houston beat Iowa State, I think Kelvin Sampson went on and uh, went on Scott Van Pelt and was talking on uh, ESPN Sports Center about how much Jamal Shedd meant to the program. And, and I feel the exact same way about Braden Norris. He's exactly what everything, what's right about college athletics. He's remained loyal to this program through, throughout a bunch of changes, obviously coaching changes, roster changes. He's obviously been at the, you know, almost like the peak of it with, you know, Sweet 16. And then my first year as head coach, we were top 25 in the country. And then last year, not as much. And he could have left and he could have left and went out and got paid. I mean, that's what people right. are doing nowadays, right. but but Braden stayed, and, and, and we had to recruit transfers last spring, and Braden and Phil Austin, literally every transfer visit we had, we, I mean, and we had about 13, 14 of them um, to sign four guys. They were on every single visit, hosted every single kid, and they were like assistant coaches helping us, wow. you know. And so, like, after a 10 and 21 year with, like, okay, I'm bringing in these new guys, but are they really going to help me? It was never – any questioning with that he leads every single day with his um work ethic uh he's in the gym three times a day every single day he's going to be a future going to be a better head coach than me one day uh, <laughs> i love having him around <laughs> um incredible student incredible student athlete ambassador all that I, I could talk forever about how much value he has and how much trust he has i just we're going to miss him after this year but but we still got some time with him so we're trying to make the most of it Drew, you know, David and I were talking this morning kind of off the air about what's going on in college basketball and, and just kind of you look around the landscape and, my God, it is, you know, with the transfer transfer portal, it's kind of a different animal now than it's ever been. You know, the NIL, the transfer portal, and then you're recruiting and it's almost as if, and I maybe I'm wrong about this, but it's almost as if like the big schools are recruiting the top 50 players and they're recruiting the transfer portal. And for a team like yourself, for a group like yourself, those bottom 50 of the top 100 are open to be recruited because they're not being chased as much as they used to because of all this transfer portal stuff. Now, you've done a great job working the portal, and obviously you're doing a great job uh, recruiting the uh, you know getting top 100 players in here, how how has that shifted the way that you go about business? The the idea that the portal has become this sort of um, new frontier for for college basketball. Well, I think the thing that that's really um, allowed it to kind of be crazy over these last few years specifically is everybody having a COVID year, all the, all yeah. the, all the yeah. student athletes having that extra year. So people are doing like, like there's a kid that's at Villanova right now, Tyler Burton that played four years at Richmond. And he would have always, you know, after his four years, he would have graduated from Richmond and went pro, but he had an extra year. So he went and got paid at Villanova. And, and so that's, that's kind of what I was speaking to with Braden and yeah. why he's so unique because it, 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 it was never that with him, but um you know, I think after the this this spring is the last spring of the COVID, um, the COVID year. 
where like student athletes have that additional extra year. So I think after this year, it'll go back a little bit to, to what it um, normally was in the past. And then I do think, you know, you saw it with Dartmouth with, with them, um, you know, unionizing um, their student athletes. It's, it's eventually, I think after this year, and there's a lot of talk about it. Um, and even the NCAA came out with like a proposal. I think student athletes are going to start being paid salaries and they're going to start being paid, um, you know, directly by the university. Um, that it's just, it's going to happen. The NCAA has to get guardrails on, on how much people can make. And, and I think that's going to be uh, positive because I think that's going to, that'll allow things to become a little bit more even. And, um, um, you know, it's been great to have parity in college basketball still, but I think things will, things will start to, to, to go back to more of how the way they were in about a year or two. So Drew, you know how it works. You've got your loyal fans and loyal has got great fan base and, and support this, this program the way it should be because of the success you guys have had. But now it's like late February, a lot of casual fans are starting to pay closer attention. Like, Oh my gosh, Loyola is good again. They're still good. And as March approaches and you hope to get in the tournament and make some noise there, if people are watching you, your team play, and they're like, oh, yeah, they're in the A-10 now, stylistically, how different is it, your style and approach in this conference? Has it changed, or what kind of differences will we see if people are look, tuning into Loyola for the first time in a while? Well, I think um, a lot of what we do in the half court offensively and defensively is pretty similar. Um, we're physical um, defensively, we're tough, we're gritty, we're connected. And then offensively, we really share the ball. We really move the ball. We don't just pound it, pound it, pound it. Um, but I think there's a couple of unique things is, is one, we have rim protection. We have a, one of the best shot blockers in the country and our freshman miles Rubin. That's different. You know, Crutwig was, uh, was, uh, jumping two feet off, the, you know, two inches <laughs> off the ground and miles is jumping two feet off the ground. So, um, that's a little bit, that's, so that's a little bit different. Um, and then I think we've got, we play faster. Um, our tempo is, is now up in the top 100 of the country as far as how fast. So you'll see us flying the ball to court. That's kind of the Michigan State influence that, uh, that I have as far as how fast we're playing in transition. And then offensively, um, you'll see us with, you know, we kind of got a Crutwick 2.0 in our, our Dartmouth transfer, Dame Delican. So yeah. um, we're, we're very similar to what Loyola's been about, but we have the, you know, a shot blocker inside defensively. We're playing faster, so I think we're more fun to watch offensively. And then to close games, we give the ball to our Ivy League transfer, Dame Delican, and, and we always talk about late game is Dame time. So our own version of, our own version of it. So um, I think we're fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think you're tons of fun to watch and you're and you're winning close games and you're obviously um you got it going. And and as I said, you can play in different ways, you know. So so Miles Rubin picks up a couple fouls early in the Rhode Island game and then you go to more of your bigger lineup and you're battling that way. Uh Tom Welch appears. I've forgotten he was even around. That guy was once like the greatest goalkeeper. I'm not making this up. That guy could have like gone to England or Germany or something. I mean, he's a, a tremendous goalkeeper uh, out in Naperville when he was younger. Um, it was so cool to just see you using different players and and mixing it in. And uh, and I don't know that that Miles had a lot of time in that game as a result. Yeah, yeah, and that's 
that's what we always want to continue to do here is we want to, we don't want to have to rely on one person to, to make our, make or break our season. You know, obviously we want to have, you know, guys that are projected, you know, uh, all conference players and projected professional basketball players, but like the strength of our team is always um, at this level um, going to be what, what we need to rely on. And we have to recruit 13 guys every year that can help us win games. Mm. And uh, that's, that's what we um, are going to continue to do. And, and this spring will be super important for us to, to finish off our roster and um, make sure that, that we've got, obviously we've got some talented freshmen coming in, but we, but we got to have some uh, veterans to go with our returners, which for the first time in a couple of years, we got, you know, some all conference level returners coming back. So we're really excited about that. And um, yeah, I think our depth is always going to be, um, you know, something that I'm going to rely upon and something that I'm going to always continue to build. Great stuff, Drew. Great catching up with you. Continue the great work. Really excited about uh, the season and can't wait till you get into that tournament and and then the big one. Yeah, thanks, Drew. We'll look forward to talking to you down the road. You guys are awesome. Thanks for always supporting our program. Go Ramblers. Go Ramblers. Go I Ramblers. love it. They play uh, George Mason Saturday at 3.30. I'm telling you, it's it's well worth going out to a game. Great atmosphere. And and on March 1st, Dayton's coming oh to town. Oh, my gosh. That's going to be the big one. That's going to be the showdown. That's that gonna could be, be the for big first one. place in yes. the Atlantic 10. Could be for first place in the conference tournament. You know, you want to yeah. set yourself up because you're going to be playing three days and three games and you know how many I, days. I meant that sincerely when I asked him. I did not expect, and I wonder how you feel. Year two of the Atlantic Ten was not what I expected to be talking about. Loyola in first place. No, I thought they no. would struggle. I thought they it would were, take a little more time. They were in time. last place yeah. last year. They what really struggled getting into that conference, and now now they match up. He figured it out. It's incredible how well. A, how well they put this team Clearly together. Clearly he can He's recruit. done a great job. Yeah. Okay. 312-644-6767. Mullion Hall on the score. Baseball. Bruce Levine. It's great to talk some baseball. Score Baseball Insider. Covering the Cubs and White Sox for more than 30 years. Bruce Levine is a newsbreaker. Inside the clubhouse co-host. Alongside our own David Haw. We've got a lot of baseball conversation to cover. Great being with you. Talking baseball. Bruce Levine. That's a really good question, Bruce. See, Bruce, that's the first hard question. With Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score now joining us on the Circa Resort Casino Hotline is Bruce Levine, CircaLasVegas.com. Bruce, good morning. How are you, my friend? Good morning, guys. Lots of things going on here in the desert, both on uh, in Glendale and in Mesa. Where do you want to begin? Let's start with Tom talking yesterday and the way that he addressed the uh, the waiting for Bellinger thing, right? I mean, I've read Waiting for Godot. I've seen it performed. <laughs> I didn't realize that we could just substitute the name Bellinger. Uh, pretty, pretty amazing the idea that he's not falling into this, I want to talk to the owner directly from Scott Boris. You know, he's, he's, he understands what his role is. Oh, you, no, you want to negotiate? Negotiate with Jed. And, and I think that's... Good for the team and good for uh, maybe not so good for uh, the way that uh, Scott Boris wants to make his appeal. But I thought that was very interesting that he felt comfortable talking about it. 
Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, it's probably not great for the middle of batting order. Uh, that That's the thing that uh, I think most fans think about is, you know, who's going to play center field? Who's going to play first base? Who's going to, more importantly, hit third or fourth in that lineup? And that's, uh, that's the missing element. Uh, you know, you can talk about whether the negotiations are happening or they're not or who's talking to who, but bottom line is, the Cubs need Cody Bellinger in the lineup, and Cody Bellinger really needs the Chicago Cubs, where he actually found a home with a great fan base and a place where he could resuscitate his career. So uh, we've talked about this ad nauseum for about three months, and the reality is is that uh, both need each other, yet they can't find a way to getting anything done at this point. So, Bruce, having been around for probably each of Tom Ricketts' 15 15- preseason addresses to the Cubs and then the media. Did you sense any different difference in tone yesterday in his openness about calling out essentially Scott Boris and the fact that Boris was not, you know, participating or negotiating or even communicating? Well, I think there's a, there's a, a, a confidence about Tom and where the franchise and the organization is at right now. Look, when uh, Theo Epstein left, the reason that he left, and, and we've talked about it many times, is uh, he was not going to get any more free agent money for from Tom Ricketts at that time. And Tom wanted what Theo was not able to, to build, and that is a farm system. That's been the charge of Judd Hoyer and his front office since. And, you know, for the most part, if you believe in numbers and you, you see some of these young players coming through, he's done a really good job of, of building up a farm system, a farm system that not only should bring more guys to the field for the Cubs, but have already brought in other players in trades. So that that's where I think Tom is different right now. I think, you know, the fans are back in the stands. We're, you know, four years away from COVID right now. Uh, he has a farm system. I, I don't think that they're ever going to be in the top one or two as far as payroll goes, but they can be a very good team with a uh, – minor league system that supplies a lot of good players, and then augment that with a free agency. The Cubs are going to be, you know, right there at around $230, $240 million if they sign Bellinger. And, you know, I, I don't know if you have to spend $350 million, be like the Padres, win nothing and go into debt to uh, win in baseball. Well, you know, the the difference may be is that the Cubs have built up that minor league system to a point where they feel like they can tap into it, get a lot of good players working for them. You know, they're, they're in a really admirable position, but you do feel like if they don't get Bellinger back that they're not going to be able to sort of um, meet the expectation that they created a year ago. Right, and there's a huge difference between – you know, three years and six or seven years that they may be asking on the Bellinger side. There's a difference between 25 million and 30 million. So there, there really hasn't been, uh, you know, hmm. anything substantive uh, lately. And and that's, I think, you know, both of you probably would agree. That's the shocking thing is that uh, this thing is still on hold. Uh, it was described to me as Scott Boris has these five. Uh, massive jet airplanes trying to land at a um, at an airport all at once. And those are the five free agents that he has out there. He, he's got a lot going on there, and he needs to figure out 
who he needs to land first so he can get uh, jobs for the other four as well. It's so annoying. So, Bruce, def uh, interpret the David Peralta signing for us because there's a difference mm -hmm. of opinion here in the show, a little bad blood brewing between Dustin and us. So I think that maybe David Peralta would have been signed regardless of the Cody Bellinger situation. Dustin's convinced the opposite. I think it's a protection. So Dominic Smith and him are both left-handed hitters. Dominic Smith, you know, it's a lot of slug in him. He's a first baseman, a DH. But the one thing that when we talk about the, the Cubs or the White Sox right now, we forget that they have to have a DH. Who might that be for the Cubs, okay? So left-handed hitting is where they're going to protect themselves in case Bellinger is not brought back. That's how I look at it. Uh, you know, again, both of these guys, minor league contracts, they have to make the team. Peralta's best years have been behind him. Smith is coming in with a broken handmaid uh, repaired uh, in January, probably be a month or so before he's ready to play. Uh, you know, these these are protective moves and depth moves for the Chicago Cubs. They're not answers to the questions of who's going to play every day. They're, they're kind of supplements of uh, veterans that can help out if indeed there are injuries or lack of signings, um, additions. You know, the, the other area, of course, is possible trades. And I think the Cubs have that in hand, too, because of their minor league system. Bruce, we know that um, Jerry Reinsdorf is in Springfield today trying to, uh, I don't know what the word would be, um, sponge or scrounge or um, solicit funds. I, I don't want to say he's there hat in hand because that implies that he's being humble about it. He He's there lobby. to yeah lobby for support for the 78, uh, just a billion dollars from – the fine folks in Springfield. Um, I, it's kind of an unpleasant topic, but he's there doing it. Well, Mike, uh, you know, we had this discussion the other day when you weren't there, and that is if it was a, a, if it was Joe Blow or some other person there doing it, would you have the same feeling if you're a White Sox fan that, you know, is there so many negative feelings against Jerry Reinsdorf that no matter what he does, there's going to be pushback? Uh, I, I, don't, well, I have you no know, negative I, feelings at all. I just feel like he's got his own billion. Why not throw that in? If there were a sports owner, regardless of the last name, that was going to appear in front of the state legislature asking yes. for a billion dollars in subsidies, I don't care if his name is Reinsdorf, Smith, Mulligan, or Haw, he would be, he would be resi there would be resistance, there would be reaction, and there would be no yeah. guarantee, Bruce. Right. I, if Tom Ricketts I, I were there seeking funding, I think we'd be like, what? You don't, you don't think this is happening uh, in 30 other cities across uh, the United not States? A billion dollars. Teams, not, a, not a billion team, dollars in subsidies. Nope. So no, no team ever gets subsidies for their ballpark. That, well, saying? a billion dollars is a little said. bit of it's a, a big ass. Well, you can Bruce. ask for a billion. You might not get it all. Well, what's he, the, what's the point, he willing to settle for then? I, I, don't, I don't know. All I can tell you is this. Would the Chicago fans, would Chicago, okay, would the White Sox be better off with a new ballpark? I think they might be better off with a new owner. Okay. They might get both, okay? They will get both. Right. They need, they need both, okay? Uh, you, don't, you think 
After 30 years over at 35th Street, that's satisfactory for the future? I don't think so, okay? So whoever buys... A different the, argument. It's a different argument. You, it's you, you not a, it's, arguments, it's connected. Bruce, again. You're doing no, it again. David. Bruce. David, Bruce. You're, just, you're making that up, David. I'm not making it up. You they're want a new bar, connected. ballpark? Fine. Pay it for they're yourself. Con- the Tell ballpark is pay. not fine. You're not drawing people at night at that ballpark. They're not taking public transportation back home from that ballpark at 35th Street. It's not happening. It's the city of Chicago. The city of Chicago needs a shot in the arm. That would be a downtown The city of Chicago ballpark. needs to understand its, its priorities, like the state of Illinois yep. needs to understand priorities, its priorities. Priorities to me is, is getting back people who don't travel to Chicago, who makes it, make it a destination for a great place to go, a safe place to go, and jobs. All of those things would be supplied. Tell me what he's going ballpark. to ante up himself. Tell me how much he's going to he's have. He's got at a franchise. He doesn't own. Look, he doesn't own that property. Seventy-eight owns that property. They're trying to develop that property into something that could be the jewel of downtown in Chicago. That's what you have to look to. You have to look at the future of what this is, not what he's asking right now. What's the future for Chicago? From this ask by Jerry Reinsdorf. And I I think that, again, we've talked about this idea that it is an amazing possibility if you could take Wrigleyville and rebuild it in the South Loop, where there's kind of a hole there that could help anchor not only its own neighborhood, but the neighborhoods around it. And And I'm all for the idea of it. I just think that the ask is insane. And that if you can't raise enough money to get that done, then sell the team and let someone else do he, it. He's going to sell it. Someone else will run it. Yeah, but, and, but he's in there to make money before he does, bro. Of course he is. But That's, he's also going to benefit. Man. He's also going to benefit the city of Chicago and the Chicago White Sox fan base by getting a new ballpark, which they need and they de- deserve. We're going to agree to disagree. I look yeah. forward to sparring with you all season long, Bruce, because this is something that it's going to be difficult to see any kind of middle ground. Either Jerry uh, finds out, either we find out Just, today what he's going to have to put up right. himself, look, because that's the first look, question I'm asking if I'm a state legislator. I'm, I'm saying to you, look toward the future and the Chicago White Sox. If they don't get a new ballpark oh, and yeah. they get a new owner, wait just a minute. If if they if they get a, a new owner in five years, they don't get a new ballpark. They're moving somewhere else. Right, right. Okay, that's always that, been that, the threat. I don't, I don't, I don't Nashville. Think we, Let's no, go that's talk not a to threat. the mayor. Let's that, go talk to probably, the mayor of Nashville. How much does he want to pay? A, it's probably a reality, and there'll be some other bad guy other than Jerry Reinsdorf being the front guy. Not going to happen. They're not leaving Chicago, Bruce. That's okay. a scare tactic. All right. Scare. I'm not scared okay. of you, Bruce. I love you. All right, there's but, it's a it's a, it's yeah. no guaranteed. I'll tell you that much. Let me just it's, you know we'll put that aside for a second. This team we get we're getting a lot. I, I know you're working hard on the Cubs, and I watch you on 360, and you're doing a great job, Bruce. I really appreciate how hard you're working out there. I'm just curious. We hear a lot of optimism out of Pedro Grafal. I'm just a little bit confounded as to what it's based on. I mean how. How will that pitching staff be? How will that team be? He's he's said something along the lines of they're five and zero already because they're five days in and everyone's doing a great job. Why not us? Why yeah. not us? I, look, I, I I agree with you guys. You know, there there's not a lot to put any you know substance in right now for the Chicago White Sox, but Grafal is happy because 
He doesn't have a, a whole bunch of clubhouse lawyers running the clubhouse and taking away whatever little power that he might have had last year as the manager of the White Sox when they failed coming out of the shoot going 7-21, and 21, okay? No manager could, could hold up, and especially a rookie manager who was brought in to win and go to playoffs. So he's thrilled to have some control in his mind of the team, of the lineup, and, and hopefully a better clubhouse, better people in there. I think they've accomplished that as far as how many wins that equates to and whether or not the arrows can continue to point up for the Chicago White Sox. We'll have to see till the end of March and see what this team looks like. Again, uh, White Sox fans aren't all, all of a sudden going to become Cub fans, all right? I can tell you that, Mike, you, you have to agree. It's just you're going to have to go through some bumps in the road and hopefully Chris Getz and his people are going to build this up. Great stuff, Bruce. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, Bruce. All right, guys. Have a great day. Talk to you later. That's our guy, Bruce Levine, and that did get a little testy. <laughs> and I think that, you know, just as a general rule, as a tax payer, I am uh, unlikely to want to see any of my tax money go somewhere. I don't care if you're raising it or not. I mean – a billion dollars is a little bit of an ask. Well, I, yeah, maybe get a little emotional there. Or, yeah, I'm or, sorry. I, I apologize. For no, I think we both kind of did. But I think that Bruce uh, and I have gone back and forth in this. This is probably the third time we've talked about it. I understand where he's coming from. And I think that we both value the potential of a new ballpark and what that could mean for the city and certainly that neighborhood. I think we just want it to be fiscally responsible. And that's what we're asking for as much as anything. 312-644-6767. You want to pay a billion dollars? Yeah, are you on board with the billion dollar plan? 312-644-6767. Mullion Hall on the score. NBC5 has learned that White Sox chairman Jerry Reinsdorf will meet with legislative leaders in Springfield tomorrow. Democratic and Republican leaders will sit down with Reinsdorf as he is looking for $1 billion in public money to help build a new White Sox stadium in the South Loop. <laughs> Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670. I can't. I can't take it seriously. You got to take it seriously. I know I do. You got to. I understand. Because as much as we can oppose it, as much as we may resist it, I think that Jerry Reinsdorf is a businessman. He's also with a partner in related media. They're not down there because they think they're going to waste their time. They're down there if you talk to people who are involved because they truly believe that they can convince enough people that the jobs this would create, the development it would spark, is worth the ask, which is $1.2 billion in subsidies to help build a park on the patch of land called the 78 in the South Loop. Good luck, on, good luck with that. Good luck. Because I, I just don't know. I think that's a hard sell. And I do, I do believe that, um, that, you know, Bruce, I, I, I feel bad about our interview with Bruce because it got contentious. And I, I love Bruce. And I don't want to get contentious about this. I want to be able to speak about it, and I kind of got fired up. But I do believe that if you're a legislator and, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf comes calling again 30 years after the fact, whatever the timetable is, you, you know, don't you, don't you reach and make sure you're protecting your own wallet? Don't you feel like there's a shell game going on and you're going to get caught in it? It depends on what your motivation is. I think that's, a, that's, that's the instinct I would have, okay? But I don't know that it's the instinct that, Everyone's going to have a different 
agenda based on their constituents, based on what's in it for them. So if Jerry Reinsdorf, who is a skilled negotiator, no shadow of a skilled doubt. businessman, if yep. he goes down and appears in front of the state legislature and makes the argument convincingly mm. about job creation, about revitalization, about all the things that we talked about, all the things they believe in. That's why Bruce is holding firm. He knows what they think they know, and he's going to argue it on their behalf. So if it gets contentious, it gets contentious. I've talked with Bruce about this three times now since Saturday, and each time it, the, the level of volume raises, it's okay. There's going to be shouting. Let's get to our buddy Ron. Ron's on the south side. Hey, Ron, here we go. Hey, Mully, <laughs> good to hear you, man. I told David last week you need to come on because – we got to face this season together. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been waiting for you. Look at real quick, real, real quick, guy. Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I will I will be reaching out to my two uh, representatives and letting them know. Heck no. So I'm just one voice, but that's how this system works here. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf is the same one. And first of all, I agree with you. I'm not interested in a new location. I'm interested in new ownership at this point. After, after this last thing, and he's the same guy that when they built that stadium, he said, oh, we, we won't have this stadium won't have to play second to any. A year later, when Camden Yards was built, it was obsolete. Mm-hmm. Another thing, when they were talking about uh, doing development near the park, right at here, Jay Reinsdorf was not interested in that. He wanted everything in that park so he could get the revenue. I've been a stocks fan like 55 years. I, at this point, guys, because I just love baseball, so I follow the game. But he can lead. The White Sox can lead. The, the, the club is bad. And, and so, 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 so that's it, guys. I'm, this is, it doesn't get any worse. And the point, and look, I, I love Bruce, too, but listen to him feel. I don't care what they're doing in other cities. Maybe those teams are better, or but 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 this organization is one of the worst organizations. Look at this embarrassment that we just went through. It's a, so, yeah. so 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 yeah. So but 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 and 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 and, and last, I, you guys got me going. But uh, no, 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 and in particularly spending some public money, there are a lot more priorities that our legislators should be dealing with instead of giving a billion I don't want to hear that about jobs and all that nonsense. No, you have the money, so you spend it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it, Ron. That's the thing that bothers me, I think. It's hard to get past the priorities that exist, that the diversion of these funds into, yeah, their hotel tax, it's already there, and you're not raising anybody's taxes, but you're using that money. Every dollar spent on the White Sox ballpark initiative is one less dollar spent on something else that matters more. We got people living in the streets, man. We got a lot of problems in this town. And and I mean, I get it. You know, jobs and production and I understand the concept, but this is really just about money. It it is just about money. It, it, it Nothing is. else. And and I get I get it. There's like a lump of dough sitting there, whatever. Three hundred and twenty million, whatever that fund is that's sitting there waiting for someone to tap into. So that's kind of what the we'll ride talk on. about that when we so come back. So let's start yeah. looking for a billion and maybe we get the 320. <laughs> right.
Give me we, a break. We, we touch a nerve, full phone lines. People yeah. want to weigh in because this is something that's important to the city, the state, and to Sox fans everywhere. We'll be right back with your calls, Mully and Haw on the score. If it was Joe Blow or some other person there doing it, would you have the same feeling if you're a White Sox fan that, you know, is there so many negative feelings against Jerry Reinsdorf that no matter what he does, there's going to be pushback? Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score. That is a fair question from Bruce, and I've been thinking about it since he said it. Um, it's kind of ringing in my ears a little bit because okay. I, I, I think that there is an element of having watched the last go round and the guaranteed rate field and, and how that was built and the, and the state financing it and the takeaway, um, from everything that happened, feeling like that, you know, ultimately wasn't the greatest concept I've ever seen. Let me tell you why I pushed back a little bit in, in Sure. Taking a deep breath here. I think that, yes, there's there's an aura around Jerry Reinsdorf that is negative to a lot of people because of the perception that he's created for himself. He is a very unpopular owner right now, a very unpopular guy in the Chicago sports scene. So I think just his mere presence will trigger some people. I think you'd probably count yourself in that group, right? Sure. So there's a there's a visceral reaction to seeing Jerry Reinsdorf ask for anything, right? Yes. Now, I I acknowledge that, but here's all I was saying. In this climate, in this state climate, in this city climate, economically and otherwise, I don't really think it matters who would be doing the asking if the ask is this big for a ballpark. In even though it would revitalize the neighborhood and and create all the jobs, I think that anybody that would go in front of the state legislature and ask for a billion dollars in subsidies for any kind of building project would have a similar reaction regardless of the perception back in Chicago. So to me, who is asking for it is not as important as what they're asking for. I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but... When you've been down the road with this, and now here you are again, I, I can't help. I think Bruce is right. I think that, the, the, you know, first of all, I think that the idea of public funding of stadiums repulses me. Mm-hmm. I think that exists. And then you throw in the fact that, you know, the Sox got a pretty sweetheart deal when they threatened to go to Tampa. A great deal. Thank you. <laughs> and then you know the whole like when when Jerry was at the owners' meetings and went and met with the mayor of Nashville, I cannot tell you how how that turned me off. Here, let me rub your face in it, Sox fans. Oh my god! L- let me show you how this is how it's done. I can here be. I go, and my empty threat of moving the team to a city that really doesn't have a place for us, but I'm going to pretend that they are going to be our next home anyway. Last thing on this, Molly, and we get to the calls. Yeah. This virtual race to Springfield, if you will, that's Jerry Reinsdorf in lane one. In lane two, or maybe trailing behind him, I do wonder how far back is Kevin Warren? How far back is Kevin Warren? Because we had Jim Kirk on yesterday sure. from Crane Chicago Business, and he said something that lasted and lingered with me all day long. 
he said it was a realistic possibility that the Bears could build on the south lot of Soldier Field. Well, they're not going to likely do both projects in Chicago. Let me ask you a question. And Which the, one would you prefer? Which one would create more jobs and be longer lasting? And which one? I'm, I mean, I'm just saying, if if you're a legislator yeah. and you're I, eyeballing I, these two projects, I think you're looking at the Bears Stadium as a, a big a cl- enclosed structure with the opportunity to have other events, a multi-purpose p- facility. You're likely to say that, I would think, right? It's on see, the lakefront. See, to me, you're, it's the difference between creating a new neighborhood. You can't create a neighborhood on the lakefront because it's already So you think it would owned. be the 78? I think the 78 it would scream more, more jobs, more long-lasting benefit than a new soldier field. Effectively, I do, it's a new soldier field I, right I, next to soldier field. I, I do I do think that's a fair point. I, I don't know how I feel totally about that. I'd have to think about that in terms of which would create more opportunities for people and the way a, a legislator may look at it. Mm. But I do think this, that when you're talking about the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority, that there's only one – team they're yes. likely to help yes and by the end of the calendar year because of the clause that was tucked into 2021 uh legislation that there is a virtual race to springfield sure. and kevin warren versus jerry reinsdorf that's fascinating because of what you said coming in jerry reinsdorf does has a perception that's negative what's the perception of kevin warren what's the perception of him and the chicago bears the mccaskies i don't know that which is more likely to be able to sway legislators into thinking it their way and to helping them build what they want to build. All right, let's get to the phone lines. 312-644-6767. We'll start with Chuck. He's waited patiently in Glencoe. Hey, Chuck. Yes, thanks, fellas. Um, a couple of things I'd like Bruce Levine to think about doing today. First of all, I want him to walk from the red line stop at 35th Street to Comiskey Park, and he'll see that it's a block and a half. Then I want him to take the red line to the Roosevelt stop and get off at the Roosevelt stop and then walk uphill three-quarters of a mile to where the entrance to the 78 is and then walk another one-quarter to a third of a mile to where the ballpark might be. He's talking about safe transit at night. He's talking about safe transit at night. Not only that, but I don't know the last time he drove on Roosevelt Road eastbound, east of the Dan Ryan. There is traffic gridlock there between the big box stores and also the businesses that are on Canal Street. It is not anywhere near as convenient to the Dan Ryan as Sox Park is. Then he said incredibly that the White Sox deserve a new stadium. They deserve a new stadium. You know, if somebody deserves a new stadium, then perhaps the people who are responsible for funding it, like you've been saying ad nauseum this morning, and I agree with you, should pay for it. They do, the state, they do not deserve a new stadium at state expense. The last thing is, what about Bridgeport? Maybe Reinsdorf shouldn't turn his back to Bridgeport as much as he has over all these years. Thanks, fellas. I'd like to hear what you have to say about that. All right, Chuck. Thank Good you. Call, Chuck. I think part of the proposal, Molly, correct me if I'm wrong, but it did include a plan for what to do with the Sox Stadium at 35th and Shields. Not quite sure what the use would be, but it also would call for some development of the land around there, maybe in some more green space. Not quite sure, but there seems to be a plan that is tucked into this proposal for the 78. Kevin is in Naperville. Hi, Kevin. How you guys doing? 
How are you guys doing? So, first off, Paul, I do agree with you for, with your comment with Bruce. I, I'm curious how what Ryan Sorf will say, oh, yeah, I'll pay this, what have you, what for. Here's my question. Let's go. They give him the money he wants. Will he open his Velcro wallet and actually invest in the team from this? Will someone, will a, a, one of the people ask, okay, are you going to invest in the team now? Are you going to allow it to sit and do what you've done now for the past 30-some-odd years and not invest and be a complete miser behind this? Yeah, I don't think that's the case. I think that they have spent money on that team. I think that they went through a rebuild. They spent money, and unfortunately, the rebuild didn't work. And now you're seeing guys all kind of gone. It was money that wasn't the, wasn't spent. No, it wasn't a reluctance no. necessarily to spend it. But, but they they the had valid. They they had their shot. They yeah. had their window. It just closed quickly. And he's not going to be able to change the fact he's never written a hundred million dollar contract. That's true. But the last thing is, Molly, that look, this could be Stephen Cohen. This could be Tom Ricketts. This could be yes. F- plug in your free spending owner, mm-hmm. anybody that would appear in front of a legislature to asking for a billion dollars is going to get the same reaction from us, I believe. It's kind of regardless. It's incidental that he also doesn't spend on his team, right? Well, and, <laughs> or or that's mean, the accusation yeah, because I don't think that matters. They, right. could, they could have a $200 million payroll. If he went to uh, Springfield asking for a billion-dollar subsidy for a ballpark, I think we still have some issues. The ideal owner is someone who's using it as a toy. Not as uh, an actual business. Any of those out there? Yeah. I, well, I mean, that you mentioned the Mets. Maybe okay. that's maybe that's an example. I mean, wouldn't it be great? I, I, and, and you know, it's interesting because Tom talked a bit about the Dodgers yesterday. Their their revenue from from their TV is so through the roof. They're in a different stratosphere than every other team in the major leagues, right? So it, it's the Sox share the facility with them. Can you imagine, like, the White Sox players coming in, to, hey, welcome, and then there's, like, a parade going on across the field. That's a great image. That's, a, that's, oh that's funny god. to consider. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. We've got uh, we've got Mario. He's in Hyde Park. Hey, Mario. Hey, good morning, everybody. Look, I, as a White Sox fan, I'm torn. I love the White Sox. I hate them at the same time. I can see them, however – going to Springfield and saying a billion dollars and a billion dollars, I think really isn't the number. It's what's ever after the 340 something million dollars. Right. That's money that Reinsdorf could actually put some of up. So it's how much are they willing to give them? Here's the other part. They're winning that race. If the bears don't end up doing something Uh, in the city, they have a property they can go to. They're only $198 million apart from resolving that issue. Jerry Reinsdorf, if he's nothing else, he's smart enough to know that he got the upper hand on the state. We have to make sure to remember he's not going to Mayor Johnson asking for money. He's going to Governor Pritzker and the state legislator, state legislature, I'm sorry, yep. asking for money. Here's the other thing, real quick. The, the, it, we can hate it and we can dislike it, and I do. I don't like the idea of of a billion dollar ask when you have a police budget that's through the roof and you underinvest in the Chicago public school system. Right. I don't like that our infrastructure is jacked up. I don't like that we have so many problems on so many sides of town with crime and and food disparity and all those things. Yes. All those things being in the mix, 
Watch them build that stadium on the 78. Watch them do it. They'll do it. It's going to happen. It may not happen with a billion-dollar ask, but it's going to happen. Thanks, Mario. It's a great phone call. It's a great phone call. There's a lot of good good context there. It's also worth pointing out and remembering, Governor Prisker was asked about this two weeks ago when the first reports came out about the artist renderings for the 78. Remember how beautiful those looked? And he marveled at how beautiful those looked, but he also said this, quote, we need to be careful about how we use public dollars. Taxpayer dollars are precious. And so the question really is, what benefit financially are they bringing fiscally to the state and to the city and the and to the county? That's that's what Governor Pritzker said when asked about it the first time. Certainly the more you look at it, it wasn't a hard no, but it wasn't like, all right, here's the blank check. We're ready to fund this and help you out. I, lo- I just love conceptually the idea that you know, no one wants to give you a billion dollars. Look, you know, just take the 320 and leave us alone. <laughs> Here, take this money and now stop. That's what is really going on. Rodney's on the south side. Hey, Rodney. Guys. Hey, guys. How y'all doing today? Good, good. Good, good to talk to you. Okay. Hey, Dave. You, Dave, you ain't got nothing to apologize. You hit Bruce the way he should have been hit. I mean, I think it's – I mean, I, I like Bruce and I respect him. But come on, man. I mean, the bottom line is you got an owner that's won for 43 years of you know of championships. One year out of 43 years, and he got the audacity that won a billion dollars to build a stadium after he's already living on a, a, a free stadium. Are you kidding me? That's I was the one who apologized to Bruce, just in fairness. David never apologized. I never apologized, though. No. I, 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 I kind of did. I'm kidding I, I, I you. Know, come on. No, I, we got contentious I, a little bit, and yeah, we both I mean, I, felt, because we love Bruce. Bruce and I have sparred a little bit, and we're texting back and forth and yeah, making up, and I'm that's fine. I'm texting with him, too. It's, it's a very lively topic, and I think that it's, it, it elicits some passions because of what's at stake, and it's about a, some – Maybe the maybe our reaction is more rooted in the fact that it involves Jerry Reinsdorf than maybe yes. if if we were elected officials right. or sitting in there in Springfield listening to a pitch or, and a proposal about what they want to do and and you can see the you can see the job creation you can see the development of the neighborhood all the things we are reacting more viscerally because we have preconceived notions and opinions about Jerry Reinsdorf, who he is and what he wants. Yeah, and it's a fair point that Bruce made, and I told you, it's kind of ringing in my head a little bit, because as an Irish Catholic, I feel guilty about everything. And I I hate (laughs) that I kind of dismiss Bruce. Frank is in Lakeview. Hi, Frank. Yeah, hi. Um, I've been a White Sox fan since before you guys were born. I'm really old. And um, you know, I learned how to read a newspaper by looking at the looking at the box scores um, first. Uh, when when Reinsdorf bought the team, I was already upset because I wanted the um, the Bartola. If that was oh right, yeah, to, to get it. And and um, and then let's you know whatever you got the you got the move from Comiskey Park, which probably had to happen. Um, you got you got the white flag sale. You got the you got the. Uh, uh, Firing of Jimmy Pearsall. I've never gotten over that. And then um, I tell you, I'm old. I love it. That's then, awesome. Yeah. And so then, um, so what? You know, continue on. So I, you stole my word, but I have a, you know, I have a visceral negative reaction to to what he does. Always, you know, I'm always thinking there's got to be something bad behind this. You know, 
But when it comes to the sale, when it comes to our building this or getting the billion dollars, one thing we nobody's looked at is, and, and this is difficult, it's so difficult, I might even ignore it. And that is that if you're going to, if the city is going to generate a billion dollars through the sale, through the building of this um, uh, uh, ballpark over the life of the ballpark, well, then it's worth it. Well, a billion dollars and more, and more because of interest and stuff. But so you, what, you have to look at how much is going to, how much the city is going to make if they build this ballpark over the, over the, uh, you know, the, the course of the, of how long it lasts. That's a hard thing. It's a hard that's, because that's hard. the city, everybody, I know, because everybody's going to, whatever, whatever side you're on, you're going to use the statistics and the, and the, you know, the, the, the restaurants, restaurants are going to make this kind of money and the hotels are going to make this kind of money. And then people are going to buy stuff at the neighborhood, you know, dog stand. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to figure out. Thanks, Frank. I appreciate the phone call. Economic impact is often exaggerated with projects like these. Sure. And the other numbers that are impossible to ignore Molly, really quickly, it's the, the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority is the financing vehicle that is used for this. Sure. Created in 1987. Back then, they issued $150 million in bonds to build the Sox a new stadium, right? Later, they also issued another $399 million in bonds to pay for the renovations of Soldier Field. Well, that's renovations of Soldier Field, that's still, okay, $384 million in principle as of 2023 is still outstanding on those bonds. The point is this, that's not paid off yet. Neither is neither is Comiskey so or whatever the hell it's called. in that context, Guaranteed swimming in that rate. kind of debt, if you will, now you're going to go in front of legislators in Springfield and say, we want to have, we want to reconfigure and look at things. Yes. A billion dollars more in subsidies for this, this ballpark that's going to create all, this jo- all these jobs and all this development. And yeah, that may be true. But it just the audacity of that in this climate, given what we just said statistically and what's still left to pay off, David, just a lot. It's a big ask. The, the same thing applies to the Bears plopping down <laughs> a new building next to the old building that isn't paid off. And then we're going to have to tear down half of it and park under the columns because that's I'm, what, what the hell is happening? I want to ask you a question when we come back about the Bears project. 312-644-6767 Mully and Haw on the score. I, I think it's very possible that they would stay in the city. I think, look, the NFL, they, they like their franchises to be in, in, in big big cities, it's in their, especially in a big market like Chicago. This is a huge football NFL town for, you know, and, and I, I think even they would, if, if all things worked out, they would like to see a, down, a, a stadium in the city as well. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. That's the voice of Jim Kirk from Cranes. Good guy, Jim. Really good guy. Glad you talked to him. Sadly, I wasn't here. Yeah, that was yesterday. He's the publisher and executive editor of Cranes, former yeah. Sun-Times guy, former Trib guy. He's done a lot of jobs in journalism and mm-hmm. done them all really well. His perspective is valuable. Here's the one thing that I can't get past, Molly, and I, I wanted to get your perspective on it too. While, while I understand why the South lot makes sense in terms of maybe looking at keeping the team in the city, the Bears belong in Chicago. Boy, look at the lakefront, and Kevin Warren loves everything that comes with that environment. It is where the Bears really should play. But the reason 
And correct me if I'm wrong. The primary reason they identified Arlington Heights as the place to build a new stadium was, one, because the land existed, and they took advantage of that. But secondly, to own your own stadium, because that's what you do in the NFL when you want to make as much money as possible. $6 billion corporation, the Bears are. Yeah. Yeah. They want to own their own stadium. They can do that in Arlington Heights. They can't do that in the city of Chicago. Is is that right? There's so much. the, The value of the franchise would be so enhanced by owning their own stadium, not being in partnership with anybody, not having land that is, you know, from the park district and owing on it and all that stuff. The the value would go through the roof and it, it would be like a great decision for them to build and own their own stadium, Jerry World style, and then – that would just help increase their revenue. But they can't do that in the city of Chicago. Apparently correct? not. No, because they're on the lakefront. Okay. And the, and the site they're talking about is is one that they would have to be in partnership so with while the park district. Aesthetically, that makes sense. And emotionally, you want them to stay. Realistically, I don't know how much sense it does make. It seems like it's always going to be leveraged to me because of what they got into this initially for the sole purpose of, and that was to own your own stadium, to build what you just described, their own version of Jerry World, and then to print the money. Because that is what you do when you own an NFL team and you take advantage of all of the interest in your in your team, in your franchise, in a country that's addicted to football. I mean, I, I can't argue so a single that, thing you're that, saying. That, that's I think why, that's, that's exactly why, right. That's why the, the South Lot idea, yeah, maybe. Maybe it is a virtual race and there are there are going to be going for the same funds, but I still think they, they land at Arlington Heights as, as, as messy as that's become. All right. 312-644-6767. Joe's in Oakland. He's waited patiently. Hi, Joe. Hey, guys. How you doing this morning? Good, buddy. Thanks for staying with us. Thanks. I think this is a huge issue about the White Sox and I guess the Bears. So I guess I'll say my first point overall is that it's very unseemly when a billion-dollar business is going to ask for a billion-dollar subsidy. So if you look at what it's going to provide for the city and everyone talks about these jobs, well, they're really going to be mostly like kind of minimum wage jobs, you'd think, right? So not the greatest of jobs, but then you also think about pricing fans out. How many fans are going to be able to afford tickets to this new stadium? And my another point is, um, it's kind of hard to divorce Jerry Reinsdorf from this whole idea anyway, because as the decision maker of the Sox since he took over, there's just been a lot of things that he's alienated the fans with. Buys a team, or the group he runs buys a team. They try to put him on pay-per-view. He fires Tony Arusa. He hires Hawk Harrelson, who was... <laughs> very unqualified to be GM, who passes on Barry, drafting Barry Bonds. Then he takes the city hostage uh, for a new stadium. Yep. In 94, he spearheads the strike and ruins the best chance that the city has had to see a World Series in years. We get it. Trashes the team the next year. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Joe. Th- th- those are great That's points. So awesome. This is what comes flying out of Pandora's oh box. Oh, my God. When you open it. That's right. Everything. Back to firing oh. Hawk or, fi- you know, <laughs> getting rid of everybody, hiring Hawk and firing La Russa, 
making good on that. Yeah, there's a lot of baggage. A lot of baggage that Jerry Reinsdorf taking down to Springfield with him. <laughs> it's so, he needs like he needs like a semi a, to, to carry all the baggage that's accompanying him to Springfield in front of the legislature today. My God. What a what a what a wild what a life we live. Everybody's got their list. It's so great. Bill's downstate. Hey Bill. Hey, what's up, gentlemen? Hey, Bill. Hey, I want to uh, say that I think this whole thing has a lot of facets to it, and uh, the White Sox and the Bears projects, no matter in what scale, are all tied together. And uh, if if you're going to build a White Sox stadium away from where they're at now, you're really going to be taken away from the fans that are current Sox fans, you know. You can ask any of them. They all drive down to the game. They park down there. They walk into the park. You can't do that at Wrigley Field. You're not going to be able to do that at the 78. There's not going to be much parking around there. There isn't now. Mm-hmm. Parking isn't in the plans on the scale that it is in the at the old place. Now, if you look at the Bears, I don't see them tearing down any part of, of the current Soldier Field because of its landmark status. And I see a fight on their hands to build anything on the lakefront. I don't see how they're going to get the pass when a museum expansion couldn't work and everything else couldn't work. I just don't see that happening. So why can't the sports authority take their money, build around the current Sox Park? There's many things they could do. There's lots of land. They own acres and acres of parking lots and open land around there. They could build a baseball village. They could bring in this commerce, this entertainment that they think they need. They have public transportation. There now, they can add to the public transportation by putting a stop for the electric line to the west of the park. And then why don't the Bears look into buying the 78 and building their own it's park? I don't realistic. think it's big enough. It's not big enough. I, I don't think Thanks, it's big Bill. enough to do it. A couple there. things. Um, I believe the Soldier Field lost its landmark designation back in 2006 after they renovated the, the Soldier Field with they put the spaceship on top. I think they lost it then. I'm just I need to double check that, but I'm pretty sure about that. Hmm. As for the parking plan at the 78 with the South Loop White Sox Stadium, there is a plan for 4,000 underground garage and parks. Or I'm, I'm sorry, garage um, and parking spots. So they do have a plan for that 35 the 37,000-seat stadium, uh, yeah, would it be congested? Absolutely. That, that's not anybody's – nobody has an uh, illusion otherwise. I love the idea conceptually. I think we both do. The renderings yes. are gorgeous. The renderings are I think they look good. like PNC Park in a great city that's better yeah. than Pittsburgh. So I think that, yeah, you could get behind it. Just pay for it responsibly. We'll all be on board. That's exactly the answer, David. It's just pay for it responsibly and, um, yeah. Don't come looking for handouts. Ron's in Andersonville. Hey, Ron. What's up, Ron? Hey. Uh, one point that I think has not been uh, spoken to, I think there's an assumption that if <clears throat> these stadiums are built, that there will be this economic boom. But there are a plethora of economic studies showing that these are bad public funding of stadiums yeah. is a bad deal. Right. And I think there, I think people just assume that there, all this money is going to be made hand over fist for the, it'll be a boon for the state and the city. And I just don't know that that's true. No, it's, it's a boon for ownership. 
Exactly, and I think on top of it, if if these are if these projects are such great deals, why don't the Bears and the White Sox pay for them themselves? Yeah. Any business for any business person, if they have a good deal, they fund it themselves. They don't rely on others. Well, it's it's a fair question because according to Forbes' latest valuations last summer, the White Sox are worth two point zero five billion dollars. So. Jerry Reinsdorf is a chairman of a, franchi- a baseball franchise worth $2 billion as of last summer. That, that is only going to increase, one would think, if you are pursuing things like this. So, yeah, it does. That's why I, I referred to it yesterday as, as an audacious ask when you are the chairman of a $2 billion enterprise and you're asking for a billion dollars in subsidies. I don't think that you – are going to find a very receptive audience. Let's try Tom. He's in Rockford. Hey, Tom. Hey. What's up, Tom? Uh, my thoughts, and it's probably not a good thought, but why can't the Cubs, White Sox, the Bears get together, build one big municipal stadium, and that way if it's raining in Chicago, the Cubs can't play, they could go over to the new stadium, White Sox the same. And the Bears could use it for football. Nah, thanks, Tom. Appreciate yeah, the phone call. No, that doesn't not, make a lot of that's sense. Not, that's not going to happen. By the way, the Wrigley Field, Clark and Addison, pretty nice ballpark. Cubs aren't going anywhere. Kevin's in Harvard. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. Um, you know, T- Tampa Bay has had winning seasons and still can't get a stadium. Yeah. And then the White Sox you know, have not produced anything over the last however many years other than the 2005 World Series and looking for all this money. You know, the Bears buy the land in Arlington Heights and, you know, you're stuck with now you're looking at going back to the city. I don't understand. David, yesterday on the show you talked about or the guy from Cranes talked about um, the million, yeah, the million dollars that the school district wants in Arlington Heights. What other business has negotiations to the point where the schools get to decide whether or not you come to their village? Well, I think that's part of the negotiation when, if you want to pay the tax, property tax there. Property tax are tied yes. into every business acquisition or every land acquisition, so it makes perfect sense. The Bears, the Bears could pay this. They could make it go away and just it's pay more up front for the benefits they will experience later which I think a lot of people are wondering if they're going to do anyway. Matt is on the road. Hey, Matt. Hey, this is Matt from Lyle. I, I'm just curious what's going to happen, aside from the audacity of asking for this kind of taxpayer money, what's going to happen to the property value of the neighborhoods and the businesses that would yes. be uh, abandoned? Behind? Yes. And, uh, I mean, is, is the city basically saying we give up on this area and uh, see you later so that people can make money downtown? The other thing I'd like to make, and then I'll hang up and, and listen, is you know, uh, all you know, I, I love that we're everyone has a is passionate about this, but let's also make that passion known by writing to our representatives, state representatives, and let them know what we think about this. That's a great, yes, point. great point. That's yep. the way it should be. I do think we'll get details later. We need to get to a break, but there are plans to keep Bridgeport thriving in the way related media had the proposal, and I think it includes plans for that stadium at 35th and Shields. All right, we've got uh, we got Mike Florio. We're going to shift gears, talk to Mike, get some football news. It's Mully and Haw at Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 in the score. 
Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, NBC Sports, Twitter.com slash ProFootballTalk. Day by day, day by day, we get better and better. We get better and better. We can't beat, beat. We can't beat, beat. Boom, beat, beat. What's up, NFL insider Mike Florio with Mully and Haw on 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Now joining us on the Circa Sports Illinois Hotline is Mike Florio. Download the Circa Sports app today. We love talking to Mike Florio. Michael, good morning. How are you? Doing great. How are you guys today? Doing well. Uh you know, I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, when I saw the Bears are going to have their p- plan in place for the Combine, uh, a story by Albert Breer, which included uh, the idea that they were approached by a lot of people at the Senior Bowl about Justin Fields. I take that to mean that the Justin Fields trade season is opening around the uh, around the Combine. Am I, am I wrong to view it that way? Is there it more... Is there some surprise set for me that I'm not expecting? Well, I always struggle with this because on one hand, I understand that people have businesses to run and it's good for business to say and to report accurately that multiple teams have approached the Bears about Justin Fields. That has a sizzle factor. That gets attention. That gets clicks. That gets views. I've got no problem with that. I'm a businessman. I have no issue with people doing business. But... That stuff happens all the time. Phone calls are made all the time. Inquiries are made all the time. As people are in the process of figuring out what their options are, they need to see what the price is of the various things they're thinking about doing. Could we try to get Justin Fields? Well, let's talk to the Bears and see if they're willing to trade him. Let's see what they would want. The inquiries happen. If they don't happen, that's what's news. If they don't happen, people are being negligent about their jobs. So I think this is all a broader process of everyone kind of feeling their way through, sounding out the possibilities, and then the Bears decide what to do. And if they're going to finalize their plan next week, if they're going to finalize it next week, that tells me they haven't done their full due diligence on who they might draft. Why would you finalize your plan next week? Why wouldn't you finalize your plan when you know exactly what you're getting? Unless they're already confident they know exactly what they'd be getting in Caleb Williams. So you could look at that and say, it may be a lot like last year, where Ryan Poles sits back and waits to see not just what he might get offered for Justin Fields, but what he might get offered for that first overall pick in the draft. And we know that's where the foundation was laid for the trade last year that allowed the Panthers to go from nine to one. Good point, Mike. So look around the league. Jimmy Garoppolo suspended two games for a violation of the NFL's performance enhancing substance policy. Makes you wonder why his performance wasn't enhanced better, maybe. But I think cynicism aside, what's next for Jimmy G? The Raiders will release him. Do you think there will be a market for him? And at this stage of his career, isn't he basically just a backup? Well, it's funny. When the news broke, somebody texted me. He needs to get a refund for whatever that means. It didn't work. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I just did. I, it wasn't my. Usually, I'm the one being mean spirited. I have no problem passing along somebody else's mean spirited <laughs> comments. Here's what's going to happen because this is the key. This was manna from heaven for the Las Vegas Raiders because now they can void 11.25 million in guaranteed salary that Garoppolo was due to make this year because of this suspension. It's in his contract. We posted on it last Friday, right after the news broke. So they will cut him. They'll void the guarantee and then they'll cut him. 
and then he becomes a free agent, able to sign with any other team. And yeah, he becomes a backup. And I think what helps him is that year in San Francisco when he was the backup and he had to come in and play, he played fairly well until he suffered his own injury. But, you know, the, the question for any former starter, especially a guy who was once the highest paid player in the NFL. Now, there's a bunch of guys who at one point were the highest paid player in the NFL. But can you humble yourself Joe Flacco style to just take whatever you can get? Most guys that were franchise quarterbacks or paid like franchise quarterbacks have a hard time accepting the I'll just take whatever I can get phase of their career. So that's the real question I think that Jimmy Garoppolo has to ask himself. Am I going to be Joe Flacco where I'll just hang around as long as I can because they're going to pay me a lot more to be a second or third string quarterback than I could make in any other line of work? Or do I just tap out because I've got you know, a bunch of money saved and I don't need to do this. And usually what you see with elite high-end quarterbacks, not that he ever truly was one, but he was paid like one, when the starting opportunities dry up, they walk away. I'm I'm really curious about this Justin Fields thing because I think there are a lot of teams that need a quarterback. I understand everyone wants to get to the draft, but is it possible that you could actually get a first-round pick for the guy if you squeeze a couple of teams that might be interested, I mean, is that completely out of line? Is it a second plus or is there a chance? There's a chance if you get enough teams to come to the table. Now it all comes down to how you posture. You know, a couple of years ago, the Texans were able to tell the interested teams and Deshaun Watson, you have to basically pre-qualify to even talk to him. Here's what we want for this guy. And it was a lot. Three first-round picks. Now, Justin Fields isn't going to garner three first-round picks, but I would say if Deshaun Watson is worth three, and you could say in hindsight maybe he wasn't, Justin Fields at least is worth one or a conditional pick. See, I'm a firm believer that teams should use conditional picks more in trades, but they don't like to tie up multiple picks that they could otherwise trade because if you do – a three that can become a two that become a one. All three of those picks are kind of locked in place until you know which pick goes to the other team. But I just think the fairest way to do it is to say, you're going to give us a pick based upon what this guy does. And we're going to come up with a fair metric for number of games played or performance or whatever that will drive what we ultimately get. And that also delays the compensation, the full compensation until you know, we've had a chance to see what he does in the 2024 season, and it's a 2025 draft pick. So bottom line, the more teams you get at the table, the more you can get for him. And also, and this is where Kevin Warren's comments from last week might have been part of a broader strategy to have leverage that comes simply from the, fine, we'll just keep him. I mean, there's a lot of power in, fine, we'll just keep him. We're not looking to trade him. You have to pry him away from us. We're happy to go forward with Justin Fields. And if Warren's comments were coming from that point of view, you know, they might be trying to convince other teams, you you better offer us enough to get us to choose to move on from it. Great stuff, Mike, as always. Much appreciated. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. That is Mike Florio. 312-644-6767 is the number. You know, could they trade Deshaun Watson? Is he tradable? Again? I just wonder. That was floated last week by a 
NFL commentator who was former general manager, and that made me wonder. Hmm. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 of the score. And this is where Kevin Warren's comments from last week might have been part of a broader strategy to have leverage that comes simply from the, fine, we'll just keep him. I mean, there's a lot of power in, fine, we'll just keep him. We're not looking to trade him. You have to pry him away from us. We're happy to go forward with Justin Fields. And if Warren's comments were coming from that point of view, you know, they might be trying to convince other teams, you you better offer us enough to get us to choose to move on from it. Molly and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. Always fun to talk to Mike Florio when you heard him there. Um yeah, I, I got to tell you, there's a lot of little tidbits it, regarding yeah. the Bears that are out there, and I think they're all very interesting because, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk much about Eddie Jackson and Cody Whitehair. Right, they're gone last and, week. And they're gone last week. So there's a lot going on, yeah. And, and I'm you know, I, I think with Eddie Jackson, that's a starting player. In other words, you need a starting safety. So that whether that's in free agency or the draft, we can have an argument over – how you fill that position in. Obviously, the salary cap is uh, going up, so there's more money available to do that. The Bears already have a ton of dough. But you would think that that you want to get someone. Uh, I would I would really be interested in seeing what the veteran safety market looked like and if you can find someone that fits in well with, uh, with what Eddie did when he was here. As far as, as Cody Whitehair is concerned, I think it's it just underscores the need at center because they thought he was going to play that position, and obviously he didn't, but it underscores the need for a center, and you need to get somebody in at that position, whether that's through the draft or not. You know, you trade Justin Fields, and you're going to get a lot back in terms of a pick or two Later in the draft, uh, you get a pick. I don't know if you get a lot back. Well, if you get a higher pick, if you yeah, get a second you, round, pick. I guess you're saying that you could basically trade Justin Fields for a starting center or safety or safety. And I think that's probably a good way to look at it. A free agency will produce what it produces depending on the market, depending on who gets tagged. That's always going to determine what the safeties are available. We talked last week about Antoine Winfield not being likely to be in the market. Certainly not the price that you would want to pay either. In your secondary, you'd have two very high-priced secondary members if Jalen Johnson is tagged. And if you went out and pursued uh, Winfield as well, that would be almost $40 million in two players, probably unlikely. So it all revolves around getting something for Justin Fields if indeed he's being shopped. As it pertains to Kevin Warren's comments that Mike Florio referenced coming in, Yeah. in retrospect, I don't think that they were at all intended to do anything except for express the way that Kevin Warren feels about Justin Fields. I don't think that they're they're football-related. I don't think that it's something that you read into with, with the, it, there was an agenda behind that. Maybe it's, I don't think they were calculated as much as they were just a reaction. And I think the only other big riddle, conundrum, with this quarterback situation, Molly, is did Justin Fields really unfollow the Bears on Instagram? God, you know. Have your fun. Howard is in Chicago. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. That's the real clue. Thank you. Howard's in Chicago. Hey, Howard. How are you, bud? Yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, yeah. 
All right, let me tell you guys something, man. You in that hall over there, man, you all about the most negative, 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 negative-minded people about that boy at quarterback that I've ever seen on a radio program. You know that? Uh, and I'm going to tell you another thing. Sure. You guys keep talking about all the negative points about that boy. When are you going to reverse that stuff sometime and, 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 and say something, at least a little something, positive mannered about that boy? To give that boy some kind of a chance, man. Huh? Well, I, I, Thanks, I appreciate, appreciate, I appreciate uh, what you're saying. Uh, you know, here's – let me just explain to you where I'm at with the whole thing. Okay? So – I'm listening to the um, NFL uh, network on radio, right? Um, I'm listening to Jim Miller uh, on a a show. They had Steve Spagnola on, right? And they're talking to him about specific plays in the Super Bowl and how the defenses came in and how they did different tricks that they tried. And it was fascinating to hear Spagnola. And at one point, he's talking about – about uh, Purdy, and he says, well, you know, his his great gift is his anticipatory throws. The superpower. And how he yep. throws the ball before the guy's even out of the break, and he knows where he's putting the ball based on everything he's seeing, and he has these anticipatory throws. And, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, that is the problem that you have with Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields, number one, I think all the intangibles are there. I think he's a great leader, a great teammate. I've said this many times. I really, really like him. I really respect the way that he treats his teammates and he shows up at these weird golf outings in the offseason. He understands as the quarterback what's expected of him and he's there for his guys. And I love that about him. I think he's also an extraordinary talent who can do amazing things running the football and run out of trouble. And it's just extraordinary to see the big wow plays. My problem is I don't see him with the anticipatory throws. And as a result, I think they leave a lot of yards on the field. And I think at this point, you would be better off drafting Caleb Williams and, and bringing him in. You know, when you, when you break down Justin Fields, could he be a top 10 to 15 quarterback in the NFL, I believe he could be. Can he be a top five quarterback in the NFL? I'm not sure about is that. Is he going to be the reason you win a division? Maybe. Is he going to be the reason you win a Super Bowl? Doubtful. And and I think that when you start talking about quarterback contracts, you know, obviously you got another year left before you have to make the big decision. Right. Are you willing to give him the the twenty two million no, or whatever he's I, due after this? This just, is just I just it's, think it's, that it's, I'm not down on the kid. I think he's a good man. I really enjoyed watching him play. I think it's extraordinary. I think though that if you get a guy like Caleb Williams in here, it just makes more sense to me in terms of of like a football proposition. Well, we've been talking all morning about fiscal responsibility, and I think that you can apply it to the Justin Fields. Decision with the Bears. I just don't know how fiscally responsible it would be to bring him back knowing what you would eventually have to pay him and knowing what you're not necessarily getting out of that investment. He is limited in terms of the anticipatory throws. I think there's a league consensus that is growing and maybe word that is spreading 
that maybe he's not the, the quickest processor in the pocket. That doesn't take away from what he's capable of doing when he's running the football and on occasion when he's throwing it. He is a special player. Howard can scream at me, and I understand that, and that's fine. You want to be emotional about your football team and your favorite player, and Justin Fields is an easy guy to support. None of this evaluation of him is personal. Objectivity isn't criticism. Honesty isn't negativity. Justin Fields is not a polished passer three years into his NFL career. And again, to repeat what we have said, if you're asking the question after three seasons, if he is the guy, that's your answer. He's not the guy. And I know that sounds cruel, and it sounds like you're taking a harsh view of him, and we've been watching him play for three years. This is this is not something that just came up overnight. You know, it, the reality is he likes to see the ball to the receiver, and that's really not the way it's done in the you, NFL. You can't grade the flashes. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's easy to do that because they are captivating and they capture your imagination if you're a fan and you look at and you remember all those runs and all that history, and those are great. And if the Bears bring him back and they do somehow trade the draft pick in a way that probably few people expect them to do, then they will be an exciting team, and, and he'll get another opportunity. And he may flourish. He may flourish elsewhere. I think he's going to be a successful starting quarterback, but I do think the ceiling is what you described. Probably top 10 to 12 overall. Is he a top five quarterback? Just don't see it. No. Just no, don't see it. it and, and that's not being cruel. You know, you're – it's just the NFL is a different game, man. It's a and, different game. And there's no edict that that, demand, that you have to be in – he's a very popular quarterback. He has captured he, – He's the fan base loves him. That's what makes this very awkward it's, for the Bears. They're going to trade hard. within weeks. Could be next week at the NFL Combine. They're going to trade one of the more popular players in a long time. They – they fired the offensive coordinator because of whatever, because he couldn't get Justin Fields to be a pocket quarterback or because he couldn't celebrate what Fields can do. That guy got another job. I, I'm just saying it's not as and What does that mean? Dry. Finish that thought. Because what, well, what it, does that suggest? It really? suggests. Whether we agree with it or not, what does it suggest? It suggests that it wasn't his fault. It suggests that there's a league-wide belief that if Luke Getze interviewed for three offensive coordinator positions, that the league doesn't believe that he was the problem in Chicago. That's right. I'm sorry if that uh, offends people, bothers them, and and and. and Triggers the texters. That's okay. Yeah. But that is what it says without saying it out loud. He would not be employed if he was a clown. And I get it. I understand the, the, the way people feel about Justin Fields and the anger that you flash about that. But just I'm just saying, if you look at the game, I'm talking about the game of football. And whether it's we're all such idiots we can't figure out how to use them or whether it's, you know, does that – style really work we've yet to see it once again it fell apart in Baltimore I I don't know what the answer is but I think that that you have an opportunity here an extraordinary opportunity to get the number one overall pick two years running and I think you're really forced to take a quarterback it's as simple as that 
and it's going to be in the long-term best interest of the team. I do think Caleb Williams. Yeah, Caleb Williams is the guy at number one. Uh, Dustin mentioned about trading if they do keep Fields, uh, drafting another quarterback lower. That that's probably a worthwhile discussion. I don't. I think it's probably going to be a moot point. Don't you get the sense that there's momentum building if the reports are accurate and the Bears are going to go to Indianapolis with a quarterback plan? It's pretty much in place. <laughs> You don't do that in seven days. You don't do the due diligence in 10 days. You don't announce or leak that you're going to have a plan in place unless you pretty much know what is what the plan is. You know, I think the league reads what the plan is and sees it. And I think that, again, if you did a, um, you know, if you, if you brought in every league general manager, I think you'd get a uniformity of opinion on what should be done. And I think the Bears are basically going to go along with that. Yes, I do think they probably will. What's going to be fascinating to see, too, is that we will spend all this time debating what they should do. And, heck, there's a town hall meeting tomorrow. Parkinson Spiegel, QB1 town hall, 2 to 6, live studio audience, Blue Cross Blue Shield performance stage. Right here, 670 score and the free Odyssey app, or you can watch it live on Twitch or YouTube, getting QB1 experts in the debate. But, Molly. Nobody's talking about what they're going to do with the ninth pick. And most years, remember last year, that's where they were drafting after making the trade. How long did we talk about their possibilities? How many different permutations of the draft did we go through? We haven't even mentioned what they could do with the ninth overall pick. Listen, I got two top ten picks. I mean, the number one overall pick is the one that catches your attention. But that ninth pick, you might get a value player like you wouldn't believe Especially if you're if there's a run on quarterbacks and you're taking the first one, who knows who gets pushed down into the ninth spot? Could be could be something you could have special. The first ten players drafted offensive players. Mm-hmm. You could be in a position there to take one of the great wide receivers or or maybe the first offensive tackle off the board. Depending on what you do, if you take Caleb Williams one, you take a wide receiver nine, now you're cooking. Or maybe maybe you're taking the first defensive player drafted. Maybe you're so. You're getting the first offensive player and the first defensive player off the board. I don't know what it's going to be because there are there are so many variants that happen above that pick. Maybe you trade that pick. You know, there's a lot of possibility that the Bears could do to pick up on different pits. Peter is in Rockford. Hey, Peter. Frustrated. Very, very frustrated. All the talk that I've been hearing with this number one pick, Justin Fields, Caleb Williams, is how Justin Fields is, you know, can't get the job done, but we have no tools around him. We've we've said that. But he can't get the job done. I don't understand why. Just keep building around Justin Fields. It's it's just frustrating to me. Are you willing to give him, you know, a $150, 200000000 million deal at some point? If that is what – if the, we're going to get number one picks going in the next year and the following year with all the big haul that we have. I mean, heck, we're going to get maybe the, the next great Manning um, coming out of the draft in a couple of years and something like this out of Texas. The next great Manning? Keep, you, you, you don't believe in Caleb Williams, but you believe in Arch Manning that can't even win the job at Texas? Just, I'm just saying that there's other options in, in the years to come. I don't see, see giving up on Justin Fields. I mean, a team scheme for this kid. I mean, we have a, we've got a, a quarterback that teams actually have to scheme around, and they're and they're worried about Justin Fields. We have that guy, but we want to give him up for somebody Caleb Williams. That we and the biggest thing that I I say here is 
Justin Fields can handle Chicago's media. And that is a big, big thing in the Chicago market. If you get a kid coming in here and he's got thin skin, we don't know about Caleb Williams or, or the May kid or whatever, I'm well, telling it, you, Justin, it, Justin Fields handled his business in the last three years with all the scrutiny. He stood fast, and he is what, somebody why, who can handle. But why are you frustrated when we talk about the game and express an opinion? You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't understand. I get it. You like Justin Fields, and you want to stick with him. I don't understand why talking about it would end up being frustrating, because we, we don't agree with you? No, 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 not by any means. I love the, I love the talk. I love how everything's going. I just get, it gets frustrating when we know that we gave, we gave Justin Fields DJ Moore, number one, I mean, a, a yes. bona fide number one yes. pick, and look what he did with him. Look what he did. What did he do? Look what, look what DJ Moore sees, what kind of season he had. I, I know, but you, you look at the numbers for DJ Moore, they're terrific. You look at the number for, for, for Justin Fields, and they're not. I think hey, I think the thing just you not. know what what DJ Moore that's what's frustrating. You, what what his skill is is run after catch. So what you got to do is get him the ball and let him do his thing. And that's kind of that's the entire Niners team, by the way. When we talked about how Zach Purdy fit into yeah, what they were doing, he's he's the ideal quarterback. You know, did I call him Zach Purdy again? You did. That's okay. I'm I so sorry, Brock okay. Purdy. You know I'm, what else I'm is frustrating? It, it, it is kind of frustrating. I'm, I'm trying not to be too frustrated. but Well, it's just we're, conversation, we're, and we're talking about sports opinion, and we're all celebrating each other's opinion, whether it's, whether you agree with it or Justin not. Justin Fields is a terrific runner. He's a dynamic He's player. He's a great kid. And he had, on, a, on occasion, he is a, a polished passer, but it's too inconsistent, and the numbers just aren't there, and the evidence just isn't there. And we're always talking about surrounding him with talent and, and wide receivers and offensive line, and that's all true. But there are quarterbacks in the league that succeed despite that. And he's just not at this point of his career. He's not one of those. And maybe they're going to draft one that is, and they're going to reset the clock with this contract, and they're going to be able to go out and get the same types of things that you are able to get because you're going to have a rookie contract for your quarterback and you're going to be able to surround that guy with talent. 312-644-6767. It's Mully and Haw at Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 in the score. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't talk to Scott. Um, I think one of, one of, one of, one of his like, uh, kind of signature moves is to go talk to the owner. But I think when you do that, you undermine the credibility of your general manager. And, um, are you, you know, so you, you kind of like get, get inserting yourself into that negotiation. Uh, I, I don't think that helps. So I, I, I don't talk to him. <laughs> Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 in the score. That's the voice of Tom Ricketts from yesterday. I think it's an important point to make as we sit here on Bellinger Watch, right? Cody mm-hmm. Bellinger Watch waiting for the moment when the negotiations really get going and presumably the Cubs get him back. I love that he called him out. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's probably a dangerous game to play with Scott Boris because he could wait and wait and wait forever. But I do like the fact that Tom Ricketts didn't say, I don't talk about negotiations publicly. I don't want to get into that. He said basically he's waiting for Scott Boris to engage, not negotiate, engage, yeah. communicate. And when you right. have a lack of communication and you have the gap that exists, 
it doesn't really fill you with optimism if you're a Cub fan that any minute now you're going to hit refresh and see Cubs sign Cody Bellinger. It makes you feel like, okay, it's February 20th. Dustin's already put his deadline to March 1st. We're pushing it back, pushing it back, and it keeps going back. Dustin, explain your March 1st deadline to me. Why? Why is that the deadline? Well, today's MLB player, I think, comes into camp ready to go. In so shape. it's not like yes. he's got to get in sh- It just it, – it's a – they're going to play a game here on the score on Friday. Yes. So that gets us to around the 25th. March 1st is a week from that Friday. 25th. Happy birthday, Jerry Reinsdorf. Oh, <laughs> I'm I sorry. Think, I, didn't I, didn't think, I didn't think we were going to wish him a we happy should birthday. Have a, maybe they'll have a you know, QB1 party Jerry birthday. Think so? Is that Sunday? It's too early. You know what else is Sunday? Sunday is Chris Chelios' jersey retirement game. Real quick uh, departure here. Tune in to our show today, tomorrow, and Thursday. And right now, right now, you can win two tickets to see that game when number seven goes into the rafters and the Blackhawks host the Red Wings and Patrick Kane Sunday at the United Center, courtesy of Bud Light. Easy to drink, easier to enjoy. 312. The contest line is 540 312-540-0670. You can win a pair of tickets. Okay, back to baseball. Molly, I ask you this. What time, at what point, we can all not like Boris. And I think people are going to have their preconceived notions about Ricketts. But I wonder this. At what point do you see, as we wait for the March 1st deadline that Dustin has established, or whatever it is with Cody Bellinger, does the player become the villain? Is he ever going to be blamed for not saying to his agent, hey, just get me in camp. Hey, I'm holding out for more money. We have really kind of resisted that because Cody Bellinger is a great guy. Clubhouse presence and all the things. But at what point does that turn a little bit? Um, or does it? You know, I think, honestly, I think it, for Cub fans, if he winds up elsewhere, I think there'll be a resentment. If he ends up taking a short-term deal someplace else instead of here. Like, if he's going to take a short-term deal and go somewhere else because Boris is encouraging him to do that, why not take the short-term deal here? I, I think that there is a fear of regression with Cody Bellinger. You see it all the time and all the and all the analytics kind of predict that. So you got to be careful about it. But I I if he ends up with a short-term deal somewhere else, I think that's when Cubs fans will be very peeved with him. But until until that until happens, that happens until he can come back, I don't think it's fine. I just think that this this is a very curious there is no negotiation. So Boris wants to call Tom directly and have a conversation and not worry about Jed or what their numbers are or what is laid out. He, he basically, you go to the owner, you make it an ego thing, and you try to get the guy involved. And, and Tom wants no part of it. You know what you like about what Tom Rickett said? Because the winner yesterday, really, if you're talking about the, the PR battle that's often waged in these kinds of things, Jed Hoyer. Jed Hoyer's the winner. <laughs> Jed nope. Hoyer. Tom Ricketts said, hey, I hired this guy. I trust this guy. He does our bidding. I'm not going over his head. And don't hold him responsible because he can't negotiate with somebody who won't talk to him. Right. So right. essentially right. all this, all this offseason, we're like, come on, Jed. All right, Jed. Are you, what, Jed, what do you got? What do you got? Yeah, where now, are you? What are you it's doing? Like Tom right. Ricketts saying publicly, loudly, eh, it's not really our fault. It's not Jed's fault. And I'm not getting involved because I trust my guys. 
But Boris won't talk to us, so how do we know what he wants? He won't tell us. I, I think it's a problem. I think that the idea that, like, we know what their demands are, and we know that they're not being met. Because if they got the kind of money they were looking for, the guy would be signed already. And as we slowly see teams that you thought might be in the mix for him kind of fall away, the Cubs aren't just the favorite. They're like, they're kind of running alone. And and the one thing you don't want to do ever is negotiate against yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my God, I love this. This is my dream house. I want to buy it. Okay, but, you know, we have an imaginary buyer that might want to give more. Why don't you give more? Well, how much are you talking about? Well, you know, when we were waiting for the imaginary offer, you don't want to negotiate against yourself. You want to make your, here's hey, here's what we want. Here's what you want. If you want to come to a table, we can talk about how to how to figure out a way to get closer. But we're not going over the top here until you prove to me that somebody else is bidding higher than me. Back to the player, I, that's, that's exactly right. I, I, I got to think that if you're Cody Bellinger, you are concerned that your agent and your representatives misread the market entirely this offseason. I don't think in his heart of hearts he probably expected to be sitting there February 20th waiting to sign a contract. Yeah. Right? I agree. So you wonder if is it a, is it a product of the marketplace? Is it a product of your, your you know advanced analytics which show you might be prone to regression? Is it just the fact that you got an agent that is stubborn and, and demanding top dollar for – uh, and asking for more than you're willing to pay for to, to to sign for, right? Cody Bellinger probably would love to be in Cubs camp right now. I don't know that for a fact, but I think that we often hear after the fact that oh boy, I was hoping this was going to happen all along. Wouldn't you be edgy as hell? Oh, I would be really in a bad yeah. mood. I'd be really nervous. I'd be really having some anxiety, even though it's money that we can't really relate to. The difference between a $150 million contract or a $200 million contract or $100 million, whatever the case is. But still, it's all relative, and he's a, he's a competitor. And he's now missing time to compete and prepare. It's got to be weighing on him. No doubt about it. And I, and I think that it's definitely weighing on Cub fans. I think we all kind of understand that if they're going to get better than they were a year ago, part of it is having – the firepower and the players that you need to make sure they're making you better. The Cubs have done some nice things in the offseason, right? Number one, the manager is a huge thing. And and I like all the things you hear about teaching the game and the way that they're going about kind of some of the some of the little the smaller things, the hidden things. You know, they're gonna play really good baseball. You can feel it in your bones. But you and they got a lot of great young talent that they can bring up and get better with, et cetera. And who knows? You know, maybe a guy like Ben Brown, you know, whatever, a month into the season, a month and a half into the season, he comes up and he's doing stuff. You just don't know how it's going to work out and how guys are timed up in terms of their development. Right. I, I but, get it. But there is certainty with Bellinger. Yes, and, and that's the thing. That's what you want. You're. Everything you said is valid, and the Cubs could go through the season and having some young pitchers emerge and playing sound defense and maybe winning a couple games because their manager is smarter than the other guy. That sounds like the approach last year in terms of the talent because going into last season at this time, I don't think the expectations were that high, Mm. and they weren't 83 victories 
high, I don't believe. They were, they, you didn't expect it to be in first place in September, I believe, last year at this time. But hiring correct counsel changed everything, and I think that creates a lot of the anxiety that many of us feel is that you started out so strong back in November, and here we are in the late February, and you still don't have a roster that you probably feel like he was signing up to manage. So you wonder what's going through his head. He could probably manage anybody. He probably doesn't care. He's oblivious to it. Just give me my talent. I will get the most out of it. But it's much easier for him to look much smarter when Cody Bellinger's batting third. No doubt about <laughs> it. No doubt about it. And, and look, you know, the great thing about Bellinger is, you know, his ability to impact you at different positions, right? You know, obviously he's an he's a, he's a exceptional center fielder. And that's where he's, he'll spend most of his time. But, you know, he can come into first base. He can DH a day or two, whatever he wants to do. You could you can move him around, get value for him at a lot of different positions, and, and, and you know, also concentrate on developing. If you feel like Pete Crow Armstrong's bat is going to be major league ready, great. You know, they got Taukman. I mean, they've got options and ways – to protect their lineup, but Belly can go around the field, man. He can help you in a lot of different ways. A lot of different ways, and what he does is it allows you sort of uh, either-or hmm. when it comes to your rookies because if you sign Cody Bellinger, he can either play center field or first base. Yep. He can either replace Pete Crow Armstrong if he can't hit or Michael Bush if he can't hit. Right. Whatever the case is, right. you've got two rookies that, frankly, you don't know a lot about, and you he's the first – name that came to your mind when I mentioned Michael Bush is Matt Mervis. Well, so I, I, I mean, I, I thought we thought that Matt Mervis was going to come in and we that had him was, on the show. he was going to hit everything. And that was, and now I haven't even heard him mentioned, you know, Mash he's Mervis. Yeah. Mash Mervis is apparently on, uh, on, uh, uh, Oscar Colas Island. <laughs> I mean, I, I, there's talk about guys. Uh, you just, you, these are guys I, that I were, you were counting on. You never heard of Cuban Otani. Cuban right? Otani's gone. It's been a while since Cuban Otani's been heard from. Is, is he, he in camp? I don't know. Where is he? We I haven't heard a word from about that guy. A White Sox, if there are any and White I Sox heard, reporters. I haven't heard anything about Mervis. I, I make the assumption that they're, you know, hanging out together somewhere. You think that Oscar Colas and Matt Mervis are somewhere in, taking batting practice quietly? Baseball quietly. obscurity. There's like a special place you go to. They are toiling in relative baseball obscurity. Yes. After last spring, both were – Arriving with high expectations. That's Michael right. Bush has to be better than Matt Mervis. That exact that is grasping the obvious. I somebody I read like four different names of who's gonna be the starting right fielder for the Sox. And the only one Hold I on. recognized was Gavin Sheets. I remember, I remember, I think I can remember this. Dominic Fletcher. That's that that he's apparently okay. leading the clubhouse. Yeah. I, I think See, that's pretty good. Dominic Fletcher, Luis Robert, and Andrew Benintendi, the outfield, and then the Rest of the lineup that Dustin says looks great on paper is Yohan Mankata. Again, Dustin, <laughs> Paul known, DeYoung. known for his mean-spirited sarcasm <laughs> when it Lopez comes to the White Sox. And Andrew Vaughn. What's Andrew Vaughn going to be this year? This is a longer conversation. but what, First baseman. No, I know he's going to be a first baseman. What's he oh, going to hit? Sorry. How's he going to hit? I was trying to what, help. I, what, what's he going to be? What is it? You drafted him third overall. Remember that? No. I think, no, I, I blocked out years. I, when it comes to the White Sox, I've just kind of there's like there's been what I would call an inner surrender. I've given up in my heart on a lot of things, White Sox. 
I think you have a lot of company in that concession. Yes. Because there's so many people that sound Is Yoan so Mankata similar. still part of the team? Yeah, he is. Is the new broadcaster going to call him Yo-Yo? <laughs> I doubt it. I don't know. That, that's was, that kinda, that's, that was, was that a Benetti thing? He, he called him Yo-Yo for a while. And I, I thought to myself, well, given his ups and downs. <laughs> I think that's probably not a bad it thing. It makes sense. Hey, I want to close the loop on a question we had earlier. Please. And it was one of the passionate callers that we had when we were talking about the White Sox uh, building project potentially at the 78 at Clark and Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Jerry Reinsdorf in Springfield today lobbying, making his pitch, the audacious ask of $1 billion in subsidies. The question was, what happens to Bridgeport, right? And so part of the uh, part of the plan from Related Midwest, and I think this is part of their, the renderings that they presented, included a plan for 1,300-plus residential units in Bridgeport, 10-plus acres of new open space. And I do think that there was some, some talk about a soccer team yes. inhabiting – Yes. Guaranteed rate field. Maybe the Chicago Fire would move there. Okay. And some of the development would include not just ignoring or abandoning Bridgeport or that area, that neighborhood. It would be trying to create some residential units, spruce up the ballpark for a soccer field, and be sure that they don't get blamed for just leaving it high and dry. Now, I, I got to address this texter. Okay. Molly just said what Cody Bellinger should do is negotiate on what he wants and what the Cubs want, go to the table and discuss it. But yet, when Jerry Reinsdorf is doing the exact same thing, you guys say it's ridiculous. Who you crapping? That's from Jonathan and Holiday Hills. I hope the hills are full of holidays there. Um, I, I got to tell you, you don't think there's a difference between a ball player negotiating a contract and an owner Searching for a billion dollars? You think those are comparable? Scott Boris is not asking the taxpayers of Illinois to pay Cody Bellinger's salary. <laughs> Jerry Reinsdorf is asking the taxpayers of Illinois and Chicago to help build him a ballpark. I don't see Yeah. I don't see how they're comparable. Block that metaphor, sir. <laughs> what a what a absurd it's comparison. A absurd, yeah. Anyway. Pretty absurd comparison. Pretty lively discussion today. Had uh, a lot of fun today. We had a lot of it fun. It was great to yeah. uh, to kind of tear it up a little bit and have a laugh. And we got Dan and Lawrence next. We'll chat with them. It's Mully and Haw on the score.